you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. And welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Folks, I'm, uh, I'm actually doing this solo tonight. Joe will be back with us on Monday. He's uh, recovering nicely at home, and uh, he'll be back with us on Monday. Tomorrow, we are going to have Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer in studio. Now, rumor has it that Joe might uh, get out of his jammies and slippers and, and come by just to... Uh, uh, say hello to, to, to America's coach, Coach Dotmar, tomorrow. Uh, but no, seriously, he's uh, mobile, he's fine, uh, everything went well. So uh, he said, hey, you know, I could, I could come back tomorrow. I said, no, nah, just take the day. and uh, But stop by and visit. So that's what's going to happen. So we're going to have Coach Dave Dotmar in studio tomorrow. Tonight, we've got a very great show for you planned, uh, lined up, of course, 8 to 10, uh, the second two hours of tonight's program. We are going to have, I'm going to be joined by author, speaker, uh, nationally syndicated talk show host Josh Tully. We had him on last night. Had him on last night. Uh, he was co-hosting last night, and we had a marvelous discussion. As a matter of fact, I got so many emails saying, "You know, that was one of your best shows ever." <laughs> I'm glad you liked it because I liked it too. And in fact, um, during uh, during the night, I had gone back and I, I just listen to the archives, part of the archives, and I thought, wow, man, he was, like, saying all kinds of, like, really great, you know, giving a lot of great information, and this is what we need to hear in, in these perilous times. Now, uh, before we get to Josh Tully, I'm going to hit a couple of news items very quickly, and then uh, bring a guy that I've known now for about a year, uh, more than a year, I, I, I don't know, but you know what, time flies, so I, I don't know. He's been part of our organization for uh, over a year, and uh, his name is J.D. Hopwood. And he was at Ground Zero, uh, New York City, on 9-11, on September 11th, obviously 2001. And many of the photographs that you see of 9-11, uh, 
he could have or did take. All right. And as a matter of fact, it was interesting because at one of the conferences, uh, we had met Jonathan Kahn, and you know the, the, the sycamore tree. Well, he was right standing underneath that sycamore tree. So we're going to talk to him about uh, his experiences. And there's a reason for this, not just to dredge up 9-11, but it all kind of fits together because what we're seeing right now is an unraveling of America. And as I said yesterday, America and the world is changing. As I mentioned, this was changing daily. The United States, we appear lost in lawlessness. Well, when did this happen? Well, many can affix arbitrary dates. But certainly 9-11 was a hinge point, a hinge moment in time. The Everything changed on that day. Much like, of course, uh, December 7th, 1941 and other dates in, in American history. But at, at present, we've got the country just unraveling. We are reaching a breaking point. I don't know how many people got to see the um, very uncomfortable uh, Senate or, or the committee hearings with James Comey today, committee sessions. Well, come to find out, and I'm sure if, if, you know, how many people out there really understand that this is not political theater as alleged by the progressives, by the Marxists, by the Democrats, or whatever you want to call them. This is dead. I mean, this this stuff is serious stuff that's taking place. Well, come to find out, the FBI did not put Hillary under oath. She was not asked any questions under oath. There is no transcript from that three-and-a-half-hour session, allegedly. What do you think of that? Uh, now, that to me tell, gives me the indication, obviously, that uh, knowing myself as an investigator... And having spent time with FBI agents, with federal law enforcement, I mean, they documented the heck out of everything, as I would, and as I did, as well. Well, to not document, to not put her under oath, to not produce a a transcript, not have a stenographer there, or not have anything recorded, this is crazy. It's absolutely nuts. But what do you expect now Hillary's not the only news of course the censorship in the media and I mentioned this before we are going to have to really learn to operate behind enemy lines now if we are a constitutionalist a Christian if you're a Christian today living in America you're basically operating living behind enemy lines targets on your back. It's not on ISIS. It's not on Islamic terrorists. Notice I did not fragment and say radical Islamic terrorists or no. Or Islam, no. Is it Muslim terrorist? Targets on your back. The censorship is coming to you. InfoWars reporters were uh, we were detained. Well, they were arrested. Disarmed and arrested 
anytime you're detained by any law enforcement officer, even at a traffic stop, you can you're technically under arrest. Just as a little FYI, they were disarmed and arrested, detained by federal agents yesterday near the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, Joe Biggs, he was on our program here a couple of weeks ago. He explained how he and uh, uh, Michael Zimmerman were disarmed after they were taken into custody alongside another reporter. I'm not sure if that other reporter was with them or or what. Uh, They were held for two hours. Why? Now, reaching out and, and looking into this, this is basically harassment. This is this has nothing to do with uh, obstruction of justice, endangering any federal investigation. This is harassment and engaging in activity that uh, is ensuring that uh, they they won't embarrass the uh, federal authorities. By the way. Uh, Biggs, Joe Biggs and Zimmerman were told by federal officers that they would need to pay $230 each in order to get their firearms back. Really? Really? They were charged with misdemeanor criminal trespassing and threatened with felony charges if they returned to the area. Now, I do know that they have press credentials. Despite being told that the area was off-limits to the public, investigation into the location, according to InfoWars, revealed the exact opposite to be true. This, again, is another form of lawlessness. This is what we're going to be running into. Now, we have to pick our battles. When did this all start, to looking back? These are just a couple of headlines. You have the lawlessness that is Hillary Clinton. We have to understand how to understand how to work around that you've got this morality assault on our morality and spirituality coming at us like crazy you've got this lawlessness the attempt to censor and all of this it's hitting us right now so saddle for battle if you are a christian this is my view and my view alone if you are a christian and you are not prayed up and ready to go out there and, and make a difference? No, I don't know. Then get out of the way. You either lead, follow, or get out of the way. Be a leader. Nine eleven. We all remember where we were that day. How would you like to be at the World Trade Center, look up and see a plane crashing into the tower? J.D. Hopwood from Neptune Diaries. That's his website, neptunediaries.com. He's also a creative evangelist, as he likes to be called, for the Hagman Report. He's on right now with us. We're going to be talking about a couple of issues on 9-11. And this really is when the military police state went into full gear. But he's got he's got something very interesting, too, he took away from that day. Something in his possession, as well as memories and photographs. But I asked him to come on and talk about the events of that day and how they fit into the events of today. J.D., are you with me? Hey, Doug, how are you? I sure am. Bless you. There you go. Okay, I just, yeah, you're at a good level right there, and uh, so you don't have to, you, you don't have to mute after afterwards. Uh, J.D., hang on just one second. Before I get started here, before we get started, I just want to mention to people, 
Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by Minuteman Rocket Stove. Oh, man. Minuteman Rocket Stove. Have you seen this? J.D., I, I know you've seen this. Minutemanstove.com. Go to hagmanandhagman.com. Click on the link right there on the right to Minuteman Provision Company, Minuteman Rocket Stove. Yeah, folks, this is a high-end stove for your cooking needs. We have one here. We tried it out. Test worked out 100%. Eric, two thumbs up, and he should know. So um, there you go. Just go to Minutemanstove.com or go to HagmanHagman.com and click on the link to Minuteman Stove. So, J.D., I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, let's get started. Here you are, New York City, 9-11. Where do you want to start with this? (laughs) Where where do you want to start? You know, it's just such a crazy thing, right? Uh, Well, what had happened was is I had graduated uh, photography school right before that. And so about not too long after that, I moved there. And so, you know, it's an interesting thing because the world that we've suddenly uncovered in the last couple of years with all these prophetic guys doing their thing, uh, the Daily Crows and and all these different people uncovering uh, prophecy in the headlines... Um, I started to realize that that you know our father is divinely uh, purposed, and he spells it out for us in in our days every single day. And it just so happened that he put me he put me there, literally underneath Jonathan Khan's tree when the second plane came in. So it was crazy. So what's weird is is after listening to your show, uh, you know. People have me halfway convinced that maybe I saw some Project Bluebeam action, but I definitely saw the plane hit the building, right? So, if they if the Project Bluebeam is that good, then we are in over our heads, that's for sure. It's a whole, whole different ball game, then. Well, okay, what were you doing? I mean, you just graduated photography school. What were you doing down there? I mean, you, you were, I, I guess, finding yourself in downtown Manhattan was kind of at that day on that morning. Is not exactly in your plans, right? I mean, or or, or where no. you supposed to be, right, right there. All right. No, and that and that's the really bizarre part is that I had moved there in April before, and uh, I I moved there. I hit the ground running. I got a job at a printing press at a little design house called LICP Graphics in Brooklyn, uh, and, and I also had had the occasion to assist a few times with the sports illustrated uh, sports illustrated guy and so i was i was shaking and moving i had plans you know i was going to build my little temporary earthly kingdom here on planet earth and and get moving you know i want i wanted things you know i wanted to be successful and stuff and so the friday before 9 11 uh i had this little pakistani boss and and he was like a pakistani guy who grew up in in brooklyn so you can imagine he he looked like a Pakistani, but he had like a Brooklyn whole thing going on. And so whenever I would get the Sports Illustrated would got uh, would call when he would call, I would literally just dip out of work. I'd say, "Sorry, I gotta go." You know, Sports Illustrated calls. So one that Friday, he said, "I've had enough. Uh, you need to make a decision." So for me, it was a pretty easy decision. It was like, "Are you kidding me? Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work here." 
uh, and not go to Sports Illustrated if they'll have me. You know, even though I was only assisting at the time, you know, that's that's your entry into the photography world. So I I quit slash got fired. I like to say it like that. And so I'm from Boston originally, and and you know we grew up loving the Red Sox and all that stuff. And and so after I got fired, I took all my photography gear and I thought, well, I'm going to have like a two week. I'm going to take two weeks off, and I'm just going to do a photo essay of New York City. And so I took all of my gear, and I went. I had an apartment in Brooklyn, and the girl that I was dating at the time had an apartment in lower Manhattan, right there on Fulton Street. So uh, I took all my gear, went there for the weekend. So that that Monday, Monday night, there was a Red Sox Yankees game at Yankee Stadium, and my roommate called me up and said, "Hey, do you want to go?" And of course you, of course you want to go, if you're from Boston, you know you want to go there and cause a ruckus and you know cause a problem at the Yankee Stadium. So we we went. I can't I can't possibly see you doing that, knowing your disposition, you know. No, I can't. Okay, go on. No, right. and can you imagine? I I was uh, I was Jonah at the time. I was partying in the belly of the whale, so I was pro- I was a prodigal son at the time. So I was going nuts. And you know, Eric, if he's got the pictures I sent him, uh, I had like real long hair, and I was just going for it, you know. So anyway, so the Yankee game got rained out. So. We went to a bar in in mid mid Manhattan somewhere called the Rodeo Bar, and my friends they were going to turn it on. You know, I could tell that it was going to be like a late night, and so I've had my issues with with alcohol back and forth. So at the time, I was like, you know what, I'm going to pass, and I and I took the train down to Fulton Street, and so. There you go. So Boston sets. Here's the setup: Boston Red Sox Yankee game gets rained out. I don't go out with my friends for for too long afterwards. I go to my girlfriend's. I stay there. Now the weirdest thing was the year before I moved to New York, I had actually been taking private pilots lessons in up north of Boston. So I was very familiar with airport sounds and you know the smell of jet fuel and all that stuff. You know I I. I was into it, man. I was only 10 hours away from getting my private pilot's license. So anyway, so that morning of September 11th, I wake up and I hear a low-flying plane and then I hear a boom. Now, something clicked in my brain that just wasn't right. Now, the thing about Lower Manhattan is is they those buildings are so close together that when they fix the streets, and they tend to put these big, giant steel plates down over stuff if they're not finished, right? And they'll just drop it down. And it'll make, you know, a bomb sound throughout the middle of the, the canyons. You know, it'll oh, just yeah, man. It. it's crazy. Yep. So but all of a sudden it just dawned on me like, wait a second, that was a low flying plane. And then uh you know, I've been a conspiracy theorist since I was a kid. I got saved very young. I got saved on the on the whole six 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 mark of the beast stuff. My aunt prayed with me on a beach in Rhode Island when I was 11 and you know I've been into the conspiracy thing much to the dismay of my friends and family uh, but 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 I've been at this a long time so I, I had taken very I took much notice of the fact that they tried to bomb those towers once before right so 1993 yep February 23rd yep. 1993 yep yep 
and and something in my brain clicked and I was like no way so I ran to the window and uh, and the windows of her apartment only faced the alley and you could only see a building right next to it and I looked down and then strange you know funny enough uh, there's a Middle Eastern guy in the alley, one lone guy, and I yelled out, and I didn't even, I wasn't even really thinking so clearly. I, I was just sort of amazed that, and I said to him, hey, 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 what, what's going on? He said, I don't know, something with the World Trade Center. And so that was it, and I knew, and so I clicked into high gear, and it was funny because the, my girlfriend at the time was on the phone. And so I looked at her, I was like, you better, let's go. And so she kind of gave me that, like, you know, I'm on the phone look, like, shh, quiet. And I so, so I was purposed. I started slamming the photography gear together and heading out the door. So she figured something was up too. So she got in speed and you know got in step and we hustled out and boom, we go downstairs and we take a right out of the door. And then as soon as we take like ten steps to the street, you look up and shaboom, the tower's on fire. Ah, uh, and it was so weird because. It was madness, but it was quiet. It was just the strangest thing, and people were like whispering, talking to each other. And so I start, we started to hustle down the street. Now, I was a, I had just graduated photography school, and she had actually just graduated photography school. So here we are, two newbies hustling out on essentially the biggest thing ever, right? And we're moving down, and it's kind of like, what's going on? And you can literally, people are like on the street saying things like, it must have been a heart attack. A, a pilot who was flying a Cessna must have had a heart attack. Now, I've flown a Cessna, and a Cessna would literally bounce off and, and, and barely leave a scratch, right? It's a tin can with wings, right? And an engine. Uh, so I just knew that wasn't the fact. And so, but I, you still weren't sure, you know? So we started hustling down the street and we get to literally St. Paul's church, the, the, the church that Khan writes about in his, in his book, yep, The Rabbi Harbinger. Jonathan Khan. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, it was really weird because, you know, you, you know how in Revelation it talks about removing your lampstand it's basically like you know Jesus says basically like do what I tell you to do or else I'm going to give the job to somebody else right so here's here's where this gets really weird so I've been I've been a Christian since I was a kid and I've had like you know faith this was never uh I've never not had faith in God. I, I, I just not and, and specifically in Jesus. I think that when I heard the story and it was explained to me and, and, and I heard his name in context for the first time uh at eleven, uh it was as if I heard, you know, I knew I knew. You know what I mean? I just knew and I knew and I knew and I knew. Um and that was it. Like it was truth. And and almost like before I even knew that I knew it was truth, right? So yeah, so I started, I knew. And so anyway, so we're, we're sitting on that corner. And here's the weirdest part about being at Jonathan underneath that, that tree, right? So my girlfriend at the time, had she had like left my side right at the block before that church. And so she went down south one block and then west one block. So we were both like standing on the same 
uh, street, essentially, but she was one block south from me. So the trajectory of the plane when it hit was such that when it hit that building and sprayed out that side of the building, I was directly underneath all that stuff. And, now, and is that like, the first I, or second plane, uh, JD? That's, that's the second one. Second one. All right. All right. One. All right. So okay. now. So, so, okay, Eric has this stuff up on the screen. So, so, okay, so you see that, so that building is the Millennium Falcon, I like to call it, but it's like a Millennium Hotel, that big black building. And so those leaves that you see on the right hand side, that's, that, those are, con, that's Khan's, that's Khan's Harbinger tree. And so why I say that whole, why I brought that lampstand thing up was, was, uh, the the father's been you know talking to me calling me telling me to live set apart and do what he's been telling me to do for 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 my whole life but you know uh i i i wanted to check out what the world had to offer right so so when i got here right a year almost a year before this i had uh been to new york city with that girl that 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 I was staying with at the time and we had been over on the Hoboken side and we took pictures uh, like in, I don't know, October or November of the year before. And so uh, when, when I had left New York and went home to Boston, I had got a new Photoshop program. And so I started to play games with it and, you know, just trick it out. And so one of the things that one of my t professors in college had taught us to do was to concept, you know, basically like, you know, think up a business and then make all the stuff for it. You know what I mean? Like a full tilt package, you know, uh, logo. You know what I mean, Doug? Like what what we do with, with, with your stuff. So I started doing that. And so the day that I started doing that, there happened to be an eclipse, right? I don't know if it was a partial or a full or whatever, but there was an eclipse. And so I thought, huh, I know what I'll do is I'll do a, a thing called Total Eclipse Productions. So I take a, I go on, well, I think it was Alta Vista or some one of those stupid old search engines at the time. And I pull a picture of a, of an eclipse. And then I pull some pictures of lightning bolts and I throw them over, over this picture that I have of the city, right? That I took from the Hoboken side. And then, you know, I'm playing games and then, you know, for whatever reason, I take a picture that I have of this really like, you know, stern picture of Jesus on the cross where his eyes are peering into your soul. And I take that and Photoshop has this thing where you can blend it and I blended his face like into the clouds and stuff. And then I had lightning bolts coming out of the, out of the eclipse, you know, the, the sun eclipse and stuff. And so, so that was it, right? And so I left it. I didn't even think about that for like a long time until I moved to New York in April and I got a job at that printing press. Now, when you work at a printing press, they, they, they gain jobs up so that like they stack paper together and they put like 10 jobs up on the same piece of paper because they can buy these huge pieces of paper on a roll for cheap and then like whatever. So they just gang it up. It saves paper and stuff. So, but, but anyway, at the end of every day, there was always space at the end of a run. So for a graphic designer, it was like heaven because you could, and at the time, CDs were huge and people were selling CDs on the streets and they were doing jewel cases and whatever. So for me, I just made tons of business cards and stuff like that, right? I'd never worked at a printing press. I was right out of school. I was fresh. So I started printing stuff just like crazy, everything you can imagine. So I thought, huh, 
I ride the subway a lot, and all these people are in the subway. Not all, lot, not not a lot, but at the time there were people in the subway who would hand out these Jesus tracks. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. So they yeah. would be handing these tracks out, these old school tracks that are like ten pages, and they're just like <laughs> tracks. And I don't feel that way about them anymore. But at the time, I felt like you know poo pooed them because they weren't highly designed and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, you know what? I can make a track on. I thought, you know what? I already have this design. It's totally cool with the lightning bolts coming out, striking the Twin Towers with Jesus' thing in the back. And I know, because, you know, that's essentially revelation. You know what I mean? When Jesus comes back, lightning strikes, that whole twinkling of an eye business. That's probably where my head was when I was designing that, right? But I Yeah, he's not going to be coming tiptoeing down. You know, he's not going to come tiptoeing. He's going to come on, on a lightning bolt, thunder, you know. We're, we're going to oh. know it. I guess oh, is what I'm he's saying. Swinging for the fences this time, you know. He he's right. he's coming back, and he's not all. He's not going to be gentle. It's not going to be sweet this time, you know. It's going to be rough. So, you know, New York is a weird place because if you go to New York and you live there for any period of time, uh, I found that for me. I became a New Yorker, even though don't tell this to my Boston friends, but, but like it was easy for me to like become a New Yorker, right? And so, uh, w- when this all went down, um, it was just such a weird space for the city. And so for that, for, 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 so when that happened, right? Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. So when I had made that graphic, uh, and had I had it printed, right? So I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to have it printed. And so I put a Bible verse on that little business card, and I had tons of them printed. And I had, keep watch, for you know not when your Lord will come. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him, right? And I had these things printed, you know, by, you know when they send you a business card uh, stack, and it's in that little box? I had like three or four or five of those, and then a couple of CD jewel cases where I stretched it and made it look stupid but but I had them printed like you know now here's where I feel like a, a yeah a, a l- listen to this folks well oh, wait a minute I'm not sure if that was the direction you're gonna go but okay go on well well here's the thing like I made those things and I had them printed way before the actual event happened right and essentially I was supposed I suppose I was supposed to like pass them out in mass before in the subways, right? I didn't really right. follow through on that, right? Like I said, I was Jonah, the prodigal son. So that's sort of like a regret for me. But the fact is, is that I had these things made, done, and I gave, I gave some to my parents. I showed everybody. I thought they were the coolest thing ever. And I, and I had, go- I was going to this church. Uh, it was called Grace Fellowship in Nashua, New Hampshire when I would go home. Uh, I think it's called like, um, Gate City Church now in Nashua, New Hampshire. This pastor named Paul Barubi. I love that guy. Uh, and he had like, you know, sort of like a, prof- he was into the prophetic end of it a little bit. Uh, but anyway, so, so I had given a bunch to him. And so anyway, so I'm in New York City. This happened. So think about this. Cause I'm, when you're a conspiracy theorist, you're paranoid, right? So, so JD, for, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not so sure people heard or caught what was exactly on those tracks. The artwork, the graphic design. What was really at the epicenter of those tracks? The graphic image. 
Yeah, well, the lightning bolts are literally coming out of the sky, striking exactly where the two planes hit those towers. In the World Trade Center. That's right. Okay. I just want to, in case people miss that, the relevance right there. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll send it. I'll send a picture to Eric right now if it didn't come up. And it's funny because, you know, the the my website was just absolutely humming along like, you know, a hot knife through butter. Uh, as of 20 minutes before showtime. And so as soon as show right before showtime, you know. Hey, AJD, we're losing you. you got to turn off the vacuum cleaner, the microwave, or the coffee maker. I don't know what's going on, um, but uh, we're losing you. No, no, we're, we're, it's your microphone, buddy. We, you and I had this problem before on, on, on calls. Uh, excuse me, sorry about that. Didn't mean All to right, sniffle. How's in, that? In your, better? There, much better. There you go. There you go. All right. Okay, so sorry continue. about that. This, I don't know why that happens. It, it, that happens a lot. Uh, so anyway, I just sent Eric uh, an email with that picture. So anyway, so yeah, it was such a weird thing. So it was like, for me, it was the Father, you know, our Father in Heaven literally showing me, like, I have a job for you, and, and you hear me, but all these other people don't, and you're listening, but you, you want to go run and chase girls and, and party. Like, what are you doing? So right after, right after nine, it was weird, right? Because you would think that that would have woken me up, but that it didn't. I basically spiraled out of control. They call it I bottomed out, right? So I went on like a decade long, you know, uh, sojourn into the belly of the whale, right? And so uh, I tried. You were kind of an idiot, basically. I mean, oh, to- really, oh, to- to- total, yeah. total, yeah. total idiot. And but I had my bright spots. Like I would, I would basically go. And I would be an idiot for a long time, and then I would come back, and I would, like, go do missionary work in Papua New Guinea or something. Like, and it wasn't like I was trying to pay penance. I was genuinely trying to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. But listen, sin is cunning and baffling and powerful. And it literally, like, it is so... It ruins kings. Think about that. Like, it, 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 you know, so I'm not special, right? Like, I'm not special. I'm just yep, yep. a... I'm a skin suit that's fallen. And But here's here's one of the things... Uh, so the, the father for sure wants to interact in everyone's life like this. Not, it's not just me. Uh, and so basically it's like that whole ears to hear business. So anyway, uh, I started to listen. Uh, and anyway, so I, I did. I cleaned up, uh, and I stopped drinking and I stopped partying and, uh, I You're really cleaned up, man. Yep. 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 And so- what an amazing success story, folks. I mean, with JD, uh, I've gotten to know him and, I feel like I can call him, you know, we, you were an idiot. I feel like, you know, we have that relationship where I can, I can say that to you. We, we say much worse to each other. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so no, I get that. No, I don't want to run out of time here, JD, but, uh, you, on 9-11, and I, I know you've got so much important testimony, on 9-11, you ended up grabbing, or 9-11 in the days after, you were running around taking photographs, and uh, those people watching on YouTube can see the photographs. Um, how'd you end up, uh, uh, hanging out with Geraldo, where where'd that come from? Oh yeah, that was funny. So so okay, so the night okay, so so here's how it happened. So so the plane hits, and uh, we once I realized that that stuff was all coming down on us. Everybody literally on that block on the corner of St. Paul's, everybody started to turn. I have two frames left of the uh, my on that roll of film, uh, 
and it's literally like blurry and you can see all of us running in like a blur. And so I started to run and then the stuff started to to come down. Uh very much like when I was a kid and, and, and you know a chestnut tree would wind would catch it and stuff was it was just terrible. And so stuff started hitting people and it wasn't like all big stuff. There was some huge stuff, you know, like literally humongous things flying through the sky. But at that point I we had sort of turned uh and and I it was all like small stuff and so that that I sent Eric a picture I don't know if he put it up but but I got a piece that was about the size of my hand and so anyway there's this fat guy running next to me and I'll never forget this guy's eyes they were like as big as saucers and I'll tell you what a little small piece of whatever it was Doug like we said like I don't know if it's the building or the plane or whatever but something that flew out of that sky hit this guy in the back of the head and literally took his head off and I turn around and I look and uh, his skin of his face was still there and blood was just gushing into the street and it was just total chaos everywhere so uh, as soon as that happened now I was a smoker and so I did a wind sprint and then I was out of breath and I remember just thinking like man you know not only was I a smoker and I was winded but I had also like just about run out of cigarettes so anyway so I walked back to the apartment because now the girl is gone right I can't find my girlfriend she had actually gone down one block and had had was not in the trajectory of any of the stuff flying out of the sky right and she had the presence of mind she got perfect pictures that that put her on the map Worldwide. So whenever you see nine eleven pictures, they're not they're not mine. They're hers, right? She's got but, the best right. pictures ever. Now, so no, don't, don't, don't wait a minute. Don't don't run away from what you mentioned earlier because on the screen for many people, and Eric can put it back up, is the piece of metal that nearly decapitated um, the man that was running next to you, basically. And you've got it. You've got it in your. Well, I'll just yeah. say this: you have it secured somewhere. I've seen it, and the the reason. This is kind of important because uh, you've had, I don't want to say it analyzed, but uh, some professional people have taken a look at it and said, what did they tell you was? Well, it was at the, it was at the, it was at the thing in Dallas and, and uh, a pilot came up to me as I was showing Chance, actually. And he said that that to him, and he was 100% sure, he said that is a piece of a turbine. So from the engine. So, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I looked at it. I, I don't know what it is. But it's interesting that uh, um, whatever it is, um, well, you have it. And, and you know, it's, it's, I, I find it very interesting that many people were trying to, um, and I'm sure many people walked away with souvenirs. But in this particular case, this, uh, this piece here uh, might have some evidentiary value in the future. I don't know. But certainly, it's uh, it's interesting to say the least. But, but go ahead. Uh, I, I wanted to make make it clear about that piece of metal that people saw on on YouTube. Yeah. So go ahead. All right. Yeah, and that thing you felt it. That thing's heavy, yeah. man. That thing's solid, right? So that's like special. I've actually never felt weight like that in such a small piece like it, it, that. It's I mean, dense. It's really dense. Yeah, you know, it was dense. And the way that it was yeah. honeycombed and stuff like that. I mean, it was really weird. But see, for me, right? So so for me, I spiraled out of control after that whole thing like I, at that point I started really traveling overseas and you know running around trying to get away from from life because at that moment when that when that second plane hit the reality of of it all like that this wasn't a heart attack 
guy or anything like that, a pilot having a heart attack, that it was, you know, you know, insane. So anyway, I went back to the apartment. I found the, my girlfriend had gone back there to, to, to meet up as well. Uh, and, you know, it's a weird thing because when she split from me, she had taken, we had a bag of film, right? And so she took the bag of film. And so I only had one 24 roll in my camera, right? And so if I'd have had that bag of film, I'd be dead today. I'd be buried. I would have been buried in that 9-11 stuff. So then it was just, it gets even stranger, right? So, so as I go back to the apartment and she's there. And so we're like, oh, thank goodness you're here. So we leave again. I'm like, let's go, man. We, now we really, and I still had this picture in my mind, the towers, if you look, uh, if, if you'd ever been there between them, you could look up and they would vanish up into the sky, right? And so. It, yeah, yeah. Yep. People were the jumping. Optical illusion. Yeah, and I just had this picture in my mind. See, I didn't go to any photography school. I went to the University of Massachusetts and I studied under this totally great art photographer named Arno Minkinen. And so he taught me like, you know, a picture is not just a picture. It can be sometimes, but it shouldn't be if you're an artist. So I wasn't trying to get like fluffy photos of 9-11. So I was thrown into this weird spot of being like a photojournalist with an artistic brain, right? So anyway, I had a picture in my mind of people jumping and me catching those jumpers while the thing, the towers were vanishing into the sky on fire. Imagine what a photograph that would have been. So. We hustle back. We go right back down to St. Paul's Church. And when we get to St. Paul's Church, there's a cop there. And this cop, literally out of, think of the chaos that that is. Like, there was just people everywhere. And this cop singles us out. And he's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Imagine that. This cop looks at us. Both towers are on fire now. He looks at us and he's like, where, where do you guys think you're going? Where are you, right. what are you, photographers? And so I look at this guy and I'm like, dude, just get out of the way. And so he looks at me and realizes that I'm actually going to go around him and go towards, you know, the madness. He grabs my girlfriend and he says, do not, if you follow this guy, you will die today. Do not go with him. And so... <laughs> This girl was more courageous than 99% of the guys that I ever knew, right? She did stuff. She would, she was fearless. So I'm just like, I kind of thought like she was going to laugh at this guy. But, and so I went to go forward and I felt a tug at my arm. I turn around and I look and she's literally looking at me terrified. And she's like, just, she's like, just come with me. Just come with me. And I'm like, this is literally, I'm like, don't you get it? We are photographers put here. Like we're going to be huge photographers. Like we cannot turn our back, you know, in the photojournalistic creed of nonsense. And she's like, no way, you know, come with me. So I was like, you know what? You have two minutes. And sure enough, Within two minutes, boom, that building, the crack, the top cracked a little bit, and then they just came flying down. Any uh, evidence, in, in your view, any evidence of explosions prior to this? I mean, in your view, was this, an, was this a, a take? And I know these sounds like old questions, and who cares at this point? But my, my question, when you looked at it come down, if you looked at it, explosions or, or you know, a, a, uh, intentional demolition or, or was it something I, else? I, I for sure think it was intentional. I mean, right. 
especially in hindsight. And 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 here's the one thing that I can add to that. Uh, in memory, right? When people are like, "What was peculiar about you? Anything weird? Anything weird?" Um, yes, and this is what was weird: is within like it felt like five seconds of these planes hitting the building, right? There were were government agency people and not cops, not not cops. There were government agency people on every corner directing people where to walk. And they were in like, you know I mean like, this is within 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 an hour of the no way within way way shorter than an hour because it was all said right. and done in, in in an hour right the buildings okay. had come come down in an hour they were they were there within i mean let's put it this way the set the first plane hits um i yeah. am literally on the street inside of 120 seconds right? right i'm literally like on the street within two minutes tops right i, I was just i mean it right. was just so weird right i mean what I'm like right here, uh, yeah. And so, so. But where, so, where did these agency people, come, the federal officers, come from? That that's the question too. To to see that the the deployment, I mean, they, the organized listen, they, deployment. You couldn't have they done this. They weren't in, they weren't in like black suits or anything. They weren't like feds or anything. Like you know, they 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 definitely weren't like you know FBI feds. These people, uh, they were in like golf shirts like right like like blue and white golf shirts they were solid colors it was either white or it was blue and they were like you know literally like they look like survey task takers you know what i mean like like no I, I understand that yeah but, but they yeah, were we everywhere and they were and then here's the weirdest part right so they were just like everybody move it along Nothing to see here. Just go head that way. Just come on. Just go, go, go. And then all of a sudden, literally like two minutes before, they started to freak out and and swear and and say things like, you know, <laughs> get the get the f yeah. out of here. Run, run, run. Like it was weird how that. And I remember kind of thinking to myself, like you know, because. When you're a photographer and you've got the camera in front of you, there's an element of like it's a shield. It's a false, it's a false sense of security. But you know, kind of like you know, shut up. I'm supposed to be here. Like you know what I mean. Uh, but when they started freaking out like that, I still wasn't really paying attention. I was trying to get pictures, right? So, so. But then, man, I'll tell you what. The, here's the only time of the day that I actually thought, like, this is it. I am dead. And I don't know if you've ever seen the footage. But when the building comes down, right, and it implodes, and it does that, like, mush. It's like a, it's a rever it was like a reverse mushroom cloud, right? Think about that. Yeah, yeah. And so when that stuff, and it was like, imagine if you could take uh, a poster, a plot. You know, sheetrock, sheetrock dust, just grinding hundreds of thousands of panels of sheetrock up with everything that else that was in that. And suddenly this cloud was like faster than a speeding bullet. And I was looking down at, okay, so the building, the top cracked. We turned around, we snapped our photos, and then it started to come down. And you started to realize, it's like, my goodness, uh, 
you know, and you weren't really sure if it was like in a tip or whatever. And like, you know, so you, you know, get your photos and then run. And so when we turned and ran, I, we had ducked around a corner and we're looking down a side street. And I'll tell you what, it was clear as, as crystal clear. And then suddenly it was night. It would literally day turn to night. All of a sudden, the smoke just goes flying. And I'm looking down a clear side street. And all of a sudden, you know, because it's all crisscrossed, right? It's all like a big, giant crisscross tic-tac-toe board. So smoke goes barreling down one street. And all, you know, but guess what? It took that left and was coming right at me too, right? So it just like filled the street up so fast. That was what was freaky. It was, it was so fast. And suddenly, I was in the middle of changing my role of film. Right. And so my, my back of my camera was open and I was like, no way, man, this is a very expensive camera. I gotta like get this before this stuff engulfs me. So I shut that thing and then bam, I was in the pitch black. Now my girlfriend at the time had found her way into a restaurant. And so I was in the, I've never felt like a blind person, but I did in that moment. I thought I'm going to die. So I was trying to literally hold my shirt over my face and then find a wall, right? So I found a wall with my hand, and then she somehow, through the picture that's up on the screen right now with the people through the window, literally she saw me walking through that. And so she literally ran and grabbed me, and some guy some guy was like, no, you can't let him in here. And, you know, she was like almost six feet, and she literally like, you know, I don't know. She so she, she, you, you were on the outside. She was on the inside. She, yep. and you were, she yep. was letting you in. Yeah. All right. So All right. she yeah. pulled me in. And then what was really weird was that she literally, we, so we sat there and we went to the, e- like to the end of the, uh, of the restaurant to get away from everybody. And so this guy follows us down because he saw our cameras and he looks at me. Now this is really like, this is kind of like before cell phones were the big thing, right? Right. So, there were still plenty of people who didn't have cell phones. Like it was not, you were, you were like, you know, making money if you had a cell phone, right? So, so this guy comes up to me and he goes, he goes, Hey, are you guys photographers? And it's kind of like, dude, look at our necks. Yes. Look at these can't. Yes. And he looks and, and he goes, they just flew a plane into the White House. And I looked up at him and I was like, are you kidding? And he was a cop. He had a badge on his belt. And I looked at him and I was like, how do you know that? It was kind of preposterous that he would know that, right? And he looked at me and he had a cell phone and he snaps the cell phone shut and he called me a jerk and he walked away. But that was my lesson to not be mean to people ever, regardless of the circumstance. But uh, at that moment, when he told me that they had crashed a plane into the into the White House, every ounce of me wanting to like be a journalist and get more pictures and stuff like that crumbled and i thought we're we're in world war three jesus is about to get back i am not right with the lord so in the last two minutes of this thing because i know we're going to the top of the hour uh that's the whole point of 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 my testimony right is that i was a kid who knew the Lord and I ran, right? So there's a couple of verses where it talks about like, if you knew the Holy Spirit and you ran away, like you're, you know, doomed forever. And like, guess what, guys and girls, uh, brothers and sisters, people out there, (laughs) that is not the truth because I can tell you this, a couple of years ago, I was literally like, you know, bottoming out with a washed up 30 
you know, something year old. Now I'm 40 something, but like I was over, it was over for me. Like it was just like nowhere to go. And now here's what happened. I gave my talents to the Lord. You know where it talks about your talents and people, right. some of them buried them and all that stuff. And people think, well, that means money. <laughs> Whatever they want to think, I don't care. When I took my skill sets and instead of trying to like, put it towards me glorifying me and my world and my life and look at me I'm so freaking special all that stuff when I put it towards putting the message out Doug look at what is happening that's right right? yeah so for all you people out there who are struggling with drugs and alcohol or sexual sin or whatever you're dealing with and you've heard the voice of Jesus and you know that you're backslidden you know that you're far out there you know that you have a problem with all this stuff drugs, alcohol, whatever I just want you to sit down and I want you to think right now and I want you to pray. And I want you to give your life back to Jesus right now. And I want you to just say, you know what? If JD can do it, I can do it. If if JD, that total, just about homeless piece of garbage, that sinner JD, if he can turn his life around and the Father can use somebody like him to do good and to preach the good news of the gospel to the lost, he can certainly use me. And I'll tell you what, there are people out there listening right now that you can get activated. You have a sphere of influence. You have a circle of people around you. Oh, yeah. You're, you're modeling Jesus to them right now. And you're not doing a good job right now. But you know what? You can change that in a minute. So just turn around. Turn around because your father is waiting for you right, right now. He's waiting for you with a robe, a ring, and a banquet. Okay, he's waiting for you. If you're a prodigal and you're out there right now, just turn around. He's waiting. Mm-hmm. He literally wants you back in the fold. Now listen, you we are all we all started off dirty, okay? And our father has an immaculate mansion, and he is not going to let you in if you're dirty. So you need to get hosed down, and it's going to stink and it's going to be painful cuz while we were out playing around in the mud and getting scratched up by in the briars and getting poison ivy and all that stuff, He's got to hose us down because we ain't getting in the house unless we're clean. So I, I admonish everybody, uh, you know, give your life back to Jesus. And, interesting, and right uh, yeah, interesting account, brother. And and not quite where we were going to take it, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit where we took it. Oh, I appreciate your yeah. testimony. Thank you, and, and come back on because we have more to talk about. But yeah, we're at the top of the hour, so thank you so much. Sure. I appreciate that. Nep- Neptune Diaries, man. Neptune Diaries for the images. And, of course, some are up on HagmanReport.com as well. But Neptune Diaries. And, and yeah, listen to them. We're backslidden. But, you know, there's, there's salvation. And thanks for all, all you all you do. Appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me right. on, guys. Take care. Right. Bye, Eric. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> you, you know, uh, J.D. does a lot of the well, the graphics and, and such. And, and uh, some people know him and uh, – Many of you do. Many of you do. Well, there you got to hear his firsthand account. And again, not quite where we were going to go. However, sometimes the testimony is more important, folks. Before we hit the top of the hour, this story is breaking. And I, I've looked into this, and, and of course, I do. I, I, I do believe that we have a, an imminent threat in our hands. World Not Daily is reporting about a uh, refugee terrorized, or refugees terrorized Minnesota neighborhood for three straight days. Leo uh, Homan had written about this. Go to World Net Daily and read about this woman who gives a chilling first-hand account of Muslim rape threat 
folks, the Muslim men in this country are in this men. They're coming after our families. This is part of the larger picture of the cultural attack on our culture and families. We're going to be right back with Josh Salton. This is the Global Star Radio Network. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition, this portion of the Hagman and Hagman Report. I'm Doug Hagman. Well, I'm just one of the two Hagmans. My son is recovering from surgery. Went real well. He'll be back on Monday. He might stop in tomorrow, as we have Coach Dave Dobmeyer in the studio tomorrow to uh, talk about uh, a number of things, and especially what he's doing. Oh, you, I, hey, tell a whole bunch, tell everyone you know about uh, our show for tomorrow night. Catch Dave Dobmeyer. And, and you can. You know him from past the salt, ptsalt.com, um, Coach Dave Live. I mean, you're talking about a, a, a guy that really puts some, some fire underneath you. He's the guy. Uh, Personalized broad, uh, broadcast brought to you by Minute Man Stove. Folks, if you haven't done so already, go to minutemanstove.com. And one of the things, I cannot recommend this high, highly enough. I mean, this is one thing I think everyone should have in their prep area. This is an ammo can, reinforced ammo can, and it has been, it's decked out. It, it's a rocket stove uh, that, well, it, 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 the miracle of their engineering uh, creates a very hot, sustained fire in this ammo can, in this rocket stove. And, and of course, they have built up uh, burners and such, it, it, and a, a lid that comes down and seals, seals it up. Plus, you get fire starters as well. And these fire star starters are just absolutely incredibly effective. I mean, you can just one strike and it's you've got a fire. And guys like me, not a Boy Scout, <laughs> minus a lighter, this would be my, my next... Uh, uh, my next wish, you know, on my on my prep uh, list. So they've got a great deal running right now at Minuteman Stove, folks. Go to Minuteman Stove. That's MinutemanStove.com. They've got a great deal on their featured products, Forever Wood, 
half inch uh, fire starters. They've got the actual Minuteman rocket stove and the other fire starters as well. Minutemanstove.com. Thank you so much for being part of our extended family and family of sponsors. Now, this guy that's on right now with me, thank you so much for, uh, I just, I, I can't say enough good about him either. Uh, Josh Tolley, he was on last night and we just got inundated with so many emails from listeners last night and today saying, I listened to your program. It had to be one of the best programs ever, Doug, because of the message by Josh Tolley. And, uh, yeah, Josh got a number of emails as well. And, of course, he is the author. He's a nationally syndicated talk show host, and we have the link up for his book, Evangel. Yeah. Okay. All right. See? Let me try this on my own now. <laughs> Evangelopreneur, right? No. That's that's pretty close. All right. Honest to goodness. <laughs> you know, I, I actually, last night I got like a half a dozen emails saying, uh, kidding with me, saying, you know, I can't believe you don't know how to breathe. You spell it out phonetically. Folks, I'm, I'm looking at it phonetically. I'm looking at it phonetically, and it's not registering in my brain. So I'm going to blame the Sudafed, uh, Mucinex, and, uh, you know, whatever. But anyway, folks, that's a great book. And uh, last night we talked about... Uh, Really working through what the new world order, the, the people that, well, you know, what what they've got in store for us, living in the lawlessness and corruption. Uh, Josh has a radio show every Monday, well, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern time. If you go to joshtolly.com, that's his website. There you can find out all sorts of things about Josh and uh, watch his videos, listen to his radio broadcast live. I recommend that live too. Josh, thanks for uh, coming on board with me tonight. Really appreciate the. Uh, really appreciate you. Oh, it is great being back, and you know, two nights in a row, I'm I'm starting to feel like like Josh Hagman. So we're <laughs> we're up to three Hagmans now. <laughs> but but you you're, you're getting much better on saying the name of the book, Evangelpreneur, like evangelist. Just add a yes, preneur on the end. Yeah, yeah, I can do that when I grow up. You know, and I just, that's, it's so embarrassing because, you know, of all the things to have a problem with, the name of of, of a guest or co-host book to mispronounce that or not to be able to pronounce it, um, I, I really think a lot of that's mental on my part. But anyway, uh, I, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. I had this Iranian lawyer on the show. There was no way on earth I could pronounce his name right. And every commercial break when we come back and I would say his name, I would actually say it in a different way. So I wasn't even consistent in my error. It was it was just terrible. And you're right, as a host, you just kind of freak out a little bit when that happens. Yeah, I was looking for, you know, I'm going to crawl underneath the desk. But being the good sport that you are, you know, I'm going to have to go order like five copies of your book just to make up for it. But And I do, folks, I would urge everyone to get a copy of, of his book on Amazon. Go to joshtolley.com and follow the links or go to amazon.com and do a search for Josh Holly, And there you can uh, check his work out and not just check it out, but purchase it. Josh, a lot of stuff to get into. I know we're going to have a continuation oh, yeah. from yesterday. You, just before the or before the, you came on, we were talking, uh, mentioned about the the situation, the women, uh, or the uh, situation in uh, um, Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota, and, yeah. Yeah, you, you covered this today, right? Yeah, I did. And as as a matter of fact, you know, not only did I cover this, I had a guest on the show who was trying to apologize for Islam when this was going on. And there's this this mindset that I find very prevalent 
in the freedom movement, the alternative media movement, whatever you want to call what it is that we do. And there's this mindset that the only reason that radical Islam exists is because of blowback. For some reason, they're doing this because we're bombing their country. Now, let me say right out of the gate, I think we should be mostly non-interventionalists. I think, yes, ISIS has, has its roots in America. The founder of ISIS came from a Western prison. We have funded them, trained them, and armed them. I am totally on board with this idea that drone strikes are not working. It just causes more problems. I totally get it. But on the other side of the coin, we also have to realize that radical Islam predates 9-11. Radical Islam predates America, for goodness sakes. The British, most people don't know this, the British were actually paying off Muslims in their trade routes with America. And then when the Americans became America, they too were paying off radical Islam. And that's how we uh, actually got the Marine theme song and why we call the Marines the Leathernecks. Because these guys actually had to fight radical Islam in 1776, for goodness sakes. And then before that, radical Islam existed through the... Uh, through the expansion and the response to that expansion was the Crusades. Everybody loves to say, oh, look at religion. Look how violent it is. Haven't you ever heard of the Crusades? Well, the Crusades was actually a response to radical Islam as it, as it spread through Europe. And the route that they took was through Greece, Italy, and Spain. Well, deja vu, that's exactly what's happening today. And I was asking this lady, I said, look, the number one victim of radical Islam, to be honest, is other Muslims. So you're telling me they're killing themselves because we dropped bombs on them? I mean, we have to, we have to get to a level of maturity here where we say, yeah, we're not supposed to be doing what we're doing. But in reality, what has happened is the global elite just saw a fire that was already burning. Radical Islam was a fire that was already burning, and somebody thought to themselves, hey, I know what to do. Let's throw some gas on this thing, and that's what we're seeing. But we have to realize that when it comes to radical Islam, and this is what that, uh, that attorney from Iran said on my show. He said, Josh, I'm going to tell you right now that the moderates are way more dangerous than the radicals because the moderates are going to come in and they're going to take over cities, towns, and counties without firing a shot, and that's exactly what we're seeing happen. So whether it's in Minnesota or it's in Sweden, like last weekend when 40 women were raped and sexually assaulted, all 40 of them by refugees, or if it's like the terrible story out of uh, Idaho with the young girl who was uh, assaulted and molested and videotaped while she was doing it, once again by refugees. Whatever it is, we have to get to this point and say, hey, you know what? Okay, we can argue about if it was a New World Order creation. We can argue about if Islam was started by the Catholic Church, which there's a lot of evidence to suggest it actually was. We can argue about all of those things. But at some point, we have to deal with reality. I was in the high-risk security industry for a very long time, and if I happened upon a, a physical confrontation, the cause of that physical confrontation was absolutely important, but it's not something I thought about until I stopped the physical confrontation. Once we stop it and secure a property, a premise, or personhood, then we can look back and say, what caused this and how do I prevent it? But where we're standing right now, Doug, is we are fighting an enemy and nobody wants to identify what the enemy is, nor do we want to actually get into the mind of the enemy. For example, how many people know what a conquering mosque is? A conquering mosque is when they come into a town and they'll buy a church and then they'll put a mosque inside of it. 
And we Americans just think, oh, well, isn't that sweet? I mean, the church was kind of going under anyway. They needed a building. Yep, that works. That's not what it means to them. When they do that, they have a term for it called a conquering mosque. In their methodology, their ideology, they just conquered you. Well, the same is true with with terms like, uh, well, we don't hurt the innocent. And we think, well, that means they don't want to hurt anybody who who hasn't done anything to them. But that's not what innocent means in the Arabic when you when you take it out of the Quran. What innocent means are people who are already believers. Anybody who is not a believer is not innocent. So a two-year-old who hasn't done anything yet is not an innocent person in the the mind of traditional Islam. Now, in America, we would consider that an innocent victim if it was caught in the crossfire of a hostage situation, but they don't. So we have to really just take a step back when we see things happening in Minnesota and say, you know what? I don't care if it's CIA. I don't care if it's false flag. I don't care if it's legit. There comes a point where a bullet is a bullet regardless of who fires it, and I need to get myself out of the path of the bullet. You know, back in 2009... I appeared as a guest on WBEN Talk Radio AM 930 out of uh, Buffalo, New York. In fact, I was a regular on the Tom Barley show. And we, uh, Tom Barley and, and, and I had uncovered a lot of, um, well, a lot of what you're talking about, the, the this concentration, the, the, the conquering mosques at that time, because that was in the wake of the Lackawanna Six. I don't know how many people remember that, the, the group of Lackawanna terrorists or terrorists in Lackawanna, New York. And so we, we had found, through digging and, and doing research, we had found that the imams, a couple of imams there, key people, were purchasing all sorts of real estate around the mosques, but also around churches. And ultimately... On April 18, 2009, uh, the Buffalo News reported that the famous, I mean, our, our, this great church, former Queen of Peace, sold for $300,000 to a Muslim group, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and the... I mean, this is a landmark building, okay? So we had exposed this and the true reasons, as you were mentioning, uh, for this conquering aspect, this conquering mosque. Well, I I have to say that um, uh, we had a problem, Tom Bowerly, the talk show host, and I, with certain individuals within the city and uh, within the federal government, they, they told us to, 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 to shut up. I mean, really, they, they said, look, you don't know what you're talking about, and, and please be quiet. Um, this couldn't be further from the truth. But there was a celebration. I guess I said all that to say this. There was this public celebration where the where the the church leaders, Catholic and, and Protestant church leaders, all celebrated this unity of purpose between the Muslims and the uh, the Catholic Church in this case. And it was anything but that. So people are under that delusion. Thank you for mentioning oh, that. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. But yeah, so we've been conquered through. They've used our democratic laws to conquer us, or uh, our democratic laws to to invade us, and religious laws to conquer us. Essentially, as referenced by uh, that arch, famous Archbishop quote. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so circling back around here, we've got this this presence now of the, these these what the presence of these uh, 
renegade groups, shall we say? I, I don't know, of Muslims all across the United States, I mean, in this case, mm-hmm. Minneapolis? Um, well, not only that, you also have the presence of Sharia in courts. A lot of people think, okay, well, we're going to fight Sharia, and it's never going to happen in America. But what most Americans need to realize is Sharia has already played a role in over 120 court cases in the United States. Over 120 times, the courts have re- relied on Sharia over and above our system of laws. And I am the first person to point out that our system of laws is not perfect. But holy Hannah, we still live in this idea that, oh, at some day this might, might happen and they're going to try to, uh, to, to implement Sharia and we're going to stop it. The reality is it's already here. You already have banks in Chicago issuing Sharia laws. You already have a judge in the, whatever circuit court system New York is in. She swore her in to her new office wearing the burqa and putting her hand on a Quran, pledging that the Quran trumps the Constitution. Well, how can you defend and uphold the Constitution if you are saying that, nah, I'm going to use my own set of laws instead? So we have to at, at least get to this point. It kind of ties into what we were talking about yesterday, Doug. We have to get to this point where we at least realize where we are. Because once we realize where we are, then we can talk about what are we going to do about it. Well, exactly. I mean, we have to confront the, identify, confront the issues, and and I think we, we were, I think you've done a great job. We've we've done a great job in doing so, and just to remind people that when remember back in '01 and really the the decade, the first decade of uh, the 21st century, the war on terror. Well, terrorism or terror is not a target; it's a tactic, and people have to understand that. And is, Islam is. The, the problem here when, when we talk about terrorism so yeah I mean but so what do we do I mean how do we turn this around by the way you had uncovered this 120 uh, cases decided by Sharia or well I, I didn't uncover it matter of fact there's a, an organization called Act for America that has chapters okay. all across the country and they uncovered it they, they found it they published it they put it out there and they also found tons tons of errors in uh, textbooks and they're fixing that too, but they're responsible for for finding it. I had um, their founder, Brigitte Gabrielle, on the show. Oh yeah, no, no, well, yep. Yeah, yeah, and she was on the show talking about that. And it, most people just find that mind-boggling that this is actually happening. And you know, there's nobody holy but the Lord. We're all you know with sin. I totally get that, but you have to at least admit that there's a an opposing ideology when it comes to these two political systems. Islam is as much a political system as it is a religious system. So even if you're a devout atheist saying, oh, well, you know, religion doesn't mean anything, completely irrelevant to the conversation. Because along with the religion comes a political system, and that political system is gaining massive weight really quickly. And it was only a few short years ago that we had our first uh, Muslim politician sent to D.C., now there's a few of them, and that's growing. And you know, you have to you have to at least at one point say, "Hey, wait a second! Their movement is growing. We don't have a movement. So even though they're the minority right now, we don't have anything." So we have to get to that that point, which is why I'm excited to be here again today and talking about yeah. what we do and and how do we do that. And of course, you know, a lot of people mentioned Josh. You you were going to talk about what happens if there were to be a civil war. 
So uh, before yeah, I go, let's... you have to remind me to to stay there. We can start there if you want. Uh, well, you know what? Um, you're doing such a wonderful job articulating what I am unable to. You're doing such a wonderful <laughs> job talking about the the issues at hand. Um, any other news items? I'll, I'll ask you this first, I suppose. Any okay. other news items? You 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 had watched yes. as I did earlier today. This uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, th- these hearings with Comey or meetings with Comey. Yeah. Um, what yeah, was that? That was, that was a joke, is what that's called. That, that that's that's called a joke without a punchline. Uh, <laughs> if if people haven't been paying attention. The the situation with Director Comey came to a head today. There was a hearing. It was exactly what you would expect. The Republicans were going after him. The Democrats were trying to defend him. And you know what? It's really a kick in the teeth to the Democrat voter out there. Now, I am not a member of either party. I think it's it's one coin, two sides. But if I were a Democrat, I would feel betrayed today. Because there is no denying that Hillary Clinton broke the law. She did it. She admits she did it. He admits she did it. Everybody on the planet admits that Hillary Clinton broke the law. Now what they're trying to do is to convince all of us that it doesn't matter. And if you are a self-respecting Democrat out there who holds to the principles of labor and middle-class America and equality and fairness, then you have to be livid right now as to what you saw your party representatives do. They were basically saying, anything Hillary wants to do is okay, but if anybody else does it, throw them in the clink, send them up the river. So what we saw today was there there was a couple good one-liners, couple shots. Uh, Gowdy had a couple good ones where, you know, they were basically saying, hey, one of you lied. Either you lied to us under oath, director, or she did, so you better figure out which one lied. Now, there's a slight possibility that this isn't entirely over, if the uh, the people who are in this panel have any sort of guts at all, they they can uh, go after her for um, lying to Congress. But as as we've seen before, that's happened before, and nothing really happens. So you it's, know, it's what, just what, an extension of what we saw yesterday. That you're ex- you're exactly right. Now now now, my takeaway from this, the only thing that that I, I saw any interest, well, any uh, anything to be interesting about today was Comey's denial or Comey's no comment about whether the Clinton Foundation was a target of the investigation. Because I do believe, um, I I sincerely believe, based on my research independent of of anyone else and anything else, just the compilation of of the facts that the foundation is is engaged in just a lot of um, outsourcing. Well, I suppose you could almost make the case, and, and I don't, I don't have any evidence of this, or, but, but I, I will, I will say that there's a lot of foreign donors, and I have to wonder if there isn't some quid pro quo for the money and information and such, and such. So there's got to be, to me, there's got to be something there with respect to the Clinton Foundation. That his denial or his no comment, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna comment on that. Uh, to me, spoke, uh, spoke volumes. But then again, so what if he's not gonna exactly. do anything about the Obviously, yeah. So yeah, right. so so she committed perjury.
to use this as a way to maybe slow her down in the election. And that's what you have to realize, too. Are the Republicans actually doing anything, or are they just trying to slow her down so their team wins? Keeping in mind, again, that it's the same coin, just two sides of it. So... It, it it was it was a dog and pony show. Yeah, there were some good one liners, and you know we'll see what comes of it. But I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I, I no, I understand that. Many people are suffering right now from uh, headline fatigue, news fatigue, election fatigue. You, you talk. I was I was talking with a, uh, somebody uh, who came by uh, my home today, uh, actually making a delivery, and I knew this man from high school. I haven't seen him from long time but um uh you know people are shutting down i guess I, when i was talking with him he, he i don't want to say he was clueless he was careless he could care less about the clinton emails he could care less about what was going on around them basically and it was a complete 180 from the, the man i knew back in high school or the young man i knew back in high school and, and i'm seeing this uh, this fatigue by the population majority of the population so rather than you know, continue to add on to this fatigue. I guess we have to admit or, or recognize we're operating behind enemy lines as Christians, but that doesn't mean we shut down. We can actually not just survive, but even perhaps thrive behind em- en- enemy lines, and we have to settle for battle and, and have an operational um, uh, plan. We have to have a plan and, and work our plan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's your specialty. That's your specialty. And folks, if people pay a ton of money to hear this man. Uh, I don't want to misrepresent things, but I mean, this is what your specialty is. In right. hard times, you know, you 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 guide people and say, okay, this is what you need to do, basically. Uh, so yeah, so what do we do? Knowing well, first all this, we, first we have to realize that all hope is is never lost. Uh, anytime you're this side of the sod, we're we're in good shape. You also have to realize that if you're a believer, we read the end of the book and we win, so we know how the how it all ends. But more importantly, we have to realize that this is not an odd thing to create a thriving environment behind enemy lines. For goodness sakes, think about this for a second. The mafia is very good at it, and I'm not suggesting we do something illegal. I'm just saying that they create an entire culture and community and, and system outside the system. Uh, the Muslims that we referenced, extremely good at it. You have to give credit where credit is due. They come in with a purpose, they fulfill that purpose, and they create an environment. Uh, we see the same thing with groups in other nations. And, and this is why it all starts with free enterprise. If you look at any system, communism, socialism, fascism, any ism you want to, to choose, free enterprise is always your best option as a person and as a family and as a tribe. What we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to judge political systems and say, well, this one's good for the people, or that one's bad for the people. Well, we have to get to the point first where we say, what works for you? And and I, I know that sounds selfish, but it works this way, and this is really true. If you think about it, when you get on an airplane, they tell you that before you help somebody next to you with an oxygen mask, should they deploy... The first thing you have to do is secure yours. Because if you're not secure, you are no help to those around you. It doesn't mean you're greedy. It means you love those people enough to make sure you're still in the fight. Well, that's what entrepreneurship allows us to do. It allows us to become entrepreneurs. And people always say, well, yeah, but Josh, there's all this red tape. Well, yeah, but Josh, there's all this regulation. 
Well, let me ask you a question. That just kind of proves the point. Why do you think they're trying to regulate it? Notice how they don't regulate where you can work. Notice how they don't regulate how many, how many hours you can put in at the job. What they regulate is if you can start your own business. Well, that should tell you <laughs> right off the bat that there's power there. That's why they don't want you having it. So that's where you should go. Secondly, most red tape is not as big as people think it is. Now, if you're going to start an insurance agency or a pharmaceutical company, yes, you are going to be up to your eyeballs in red tape. But if you're going to start a simple mom and pop business, your red tape might be $75. So as much as it's, it, we hate it and it's stupid and you know they're just trying to milk you for money, yep, it's true, but operate as if you're operating behind enemy lines. There were entrepreneurs in... Uh, in, in the Hebrew population in Egypt when they were slaves. It can be done. Matter of fact, if you know anybody who's been to prison or you've been there yourself, you know that there's a guy in there that can get you anything. Which means that even in a cage, in a literal cage, entrepreneurship still works. So, step number one, that's where we gotta go. Step number two, we have to start saying to ourselves, well, Am I so focused on national politics that I'm totally forgetting to support my local constitutional sheriff? And this is vitally important because most people don't realize that there's a war against sheriffs. I know where I am right now. I'm in uh, St. Louis County, Missouri. They have gotten rid of the sheriff's department. The county north to me has also gotten rid of the sheriff's department. I know in uh, Delaware, many of the counties have gotten rid of the sheriff's department, and instead they have gone to county police departments. And if you don't know any better, you might think, well, what's the big deal? A cop is a cop. A badge is a badge, right? No! A, a sheriff has constitutional authority over that of the federal government. So people always ask me, well, Josh, how do we take this country back? It's not in D.C. I mean, just think about the logic. Right? This is like Art of War 101. Why would we fight the enemy on the battlefield that the enemy designed? That's, that's stupid strategy 101. But instead, if we take out a map, there's about 3,600 counties and some change in this country. If we said to ourselves, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go county by county and start taking back counties from a constitutional-based liberty-loving, freedom sort of perspective, once we get to 1,500 counties, it doesn't matter what D.C. does. D.C. is neutered. There's, there's no more power in D.C. And that's a fight that we can actually win, which is why right now they're trying to get rid of county governments while we're not watching. They're trying to get us to focus so much on D.C. And like a magic trick, watch what I'm doing over here so you don't see what I'm doing over there. And I, I would bet you dollars to donuts that uh, if people went to work tomorrow, asked who's running for president, whoever they asked would know, and then ask who's running for county board and county sheriff, and they're going to get a deer-in-the-headlight look. Well, that's a problem, and that's a problem we can fix. It doesn't take the destruction of the New World Order to do it, and it goes back to what we were talking about yesterday, where we can get involved in real practical ways, and those are just two. The next thing you have to do, and maybe it's first, but one of the things you have to do is you have to get together with your family or yourself if you're single and say, what am I actually trying to accomplish with life anyway? What, what, what am I trying to do? 
What's important to me? I have a couple friends who totally gave up their jobs altogether. They uh, make odds and ends money when they can. And in and for their life, they travel the world. And on their Facebook, it is literally today, hey, we're on our way to Norway. Tomorrow, it's hey, we're on our way to Thailand. And that's the life they wanted. So you have to say to yourself, what, what would we do? And a great example of that, Doug, and I'm sure you get this, as a single guy, at, at the moment anyway, as a single guy, I once in a while will watch a baseball game. And people will go after me. Josh, don't you know there's a new world order we gotta fight? This is what's wrong. People are falling for entertainment. This is this is just terrible. Well, what would you have? I mean, let's let's just paint the perfect picture. There is no new world order. We could have whatever society we want. What would you have? Well, we would have art and we would have sports and we would have culture. Well then doesn't it make sense to enjoy some of those things now so you realize and experience what you're fighting? Because nothing demoralizes troops faster than not having a cause to fight for. And if you don't believe me, go look at the suicide rate of soldiers today. And this is exactly why we have to find balance too. So step number four is find balance. Where's the balance in your life? You cannot be so sucked into rooting out conspiracies and bad guys that you have totally neglected your health. Or you've totally neglected, you know, anything else that should be important to you. What good are you going to be to fight the fight if it actually does get to that if you haven't walked around the block in six and a half years? And it, Boy, it, it's true. just, it is true. It, it's kind of like the people that, well, I got, I got guns and I got ammo. Okay, have you studied business? Well, no. Well, then you, basically you're just going to be the store for the rest of us. I hope you're, uh, your Kevlar works. Because yeah. even even business skills is a prepper skill. But we get so pigeonholed. Guns, food, water. Guns, food, water. We forget like the 39 other things that you need to know if you're really going to be a real prepper. So it, it, it you have to take a step back and look at that entire scenario. And then I guess the fifth thing is we have to realize that the battlefield never contains just two parties. It is never just friend and foe. There are always other things in the battlefield. One of the things in our battlefield in this day and age is the ignorant and the naive. They're almost an adversary in and of themselves. The other thing that's in our battlefield is, is just the system in which we're in when it comes to fiat currencies and all that other sort of stuff. And yes, I understand that there's a fiat currency. Yes, I understand there's fractionary lending. And yes, I talk about how evil it is in my book. As a matter of fact, I even gave a speech in a bank in the belly of the beast, and I was telling everybody about how the fiat system works. So you don't have to lecture me on that. But here's the point. Anything that is used as a weapon against you can be taken away and used as a weapon for you. So even though fractionary lending and fiat currency is evil on a stick, it is still a weapon that they're using against us, which means we can use it if we figure out how to and use it as a weapon for our cause as long as it exists until we get to the point where we can get it to cease to exist. You know, as I listen to you go go through that checklist and, and run down that that uh, 
that, that narrative. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we need to, um, we need to, um, in my view anyway, address the situations, but understand we have to work within the situations. Um, but what I get a lot of times, and I want to, I, I kind of want to connect this to, uh, this statement here is, I will have people either by telephone, sometimes some of our callers, emailers, will say, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. We are not to be of the world. So we should have nothing to do with the fiat monetary <laughs> system, okay? Um, and and I was trying to think of a better way to, to introduce that because to me that, that that's, I understand where their heart is, I suppose, but I don't, I mean, it's an impossible task in my view, right? Well, it is, and, and that's why Jesus even has the, the fish give up Roman money. And I, I get that a lot. You know, oh, Josh, money's not important. And then I say, so how long have you been unemployed? No, 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 I have a job. Well, then money's important at at least some level because you're making money. <laughs> so right. we have to get real about that, too. We really do. We have to stop lying to ourselves when it comes to money, too. Let me give you an example. We have this tendency to think that greed is an exorbitant amount of money. That's just kind of what we've grown up thinking. Oh, well, greed is, is the rich guy with the cigar and the limousine and the monocle in his eye or something. But that's not necessarily greed. What greed is, is putting something, in this case money, above the things that are supposed to be more important. So, let's just say Bob says that his city is important, he loves his church community, he loves his neighbors, his family lives down the street, all that sort of stuff. But Bob moves away, two states away, three states away, for four more dollars an hour. Well, like it or not, Bob is greedy. Now, wait, 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 I know people are going to say, well, he's doing that to feed his family. He's doing that because he needs to, Josh, he's not making enough. Totally get it, understand, way to go, Bob. But we have to realize that what Bob did was put money above the things that he said were more important than money. Did he not? And this is why some of this stuff hurts a little bit. Because we see that all the time. People tell me all the time, money's not important. Money's not important. And then I say, okay, well, let's meet at Tuesday at 2. Well, I can't. I got to go make money. Oh, I thought you said money wasn't important. Well, without it, I can't eat. Well, that sounds pretty important. Without it, I can't uh, can't stay in my apartment. Well, that sounds pretty important. Well, well Josh, we, we can just trust in God. God will provide. <laughs> God will provide. He absolutely will provide. And I used this example yesterday because I love it. God will provide for us the same way he provides for the sparrow. The sparrow still has to get up, Doug, leave the nest, and go get it. We are living in a Christian world today where we think we can just sit at home, tweet and Facebook and watch Maury Povich and think that somehow the, the money's just going to show up under the door or something. And it doesn't work that way. We have to get up and go get it. Now, let me also clarify, I am not putting anybody down. I think single mothers who are working two jobs to keep their kids fed are heroes. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, overall, as a people group, we have been lied to on how to make money. We've been lied to. Let's take the Bible, for example. The Bible gives us four types of people. 
Masters, servants, laborers, and slaves. Masters, pretty easy. That's the that's the big rich guy. Slaves, pretty easy. That's that's a slave. Which leaves us the two people in the middle. Let's take a look at the life of a servant. Now, this is a this is a, a situation where God says you shall not be a servant to God and Mammon or money. You shouldn't you shouldn't do this. Ready? A servant shows up for his duties when the boss tells him to. Oh, wait a second. What time what time do you get to work? Do you get to decide? The the servant goes home at the end of the night based on when his boss allows him to. Oh, wait a second. Now we're two for two. The servant, if he finishes his task, let's say it's painting the house, and he gets it done by one o'clock in the afternoon, does he get to go home? Nope. If there's time to lean, there's time to clean. How about you take this opportunity and you fill out those TPS reports? The servant, if he saves up enough money, he can buy his freedom. Today we call that retirement. The servant, if he loves his master enough, he can go to the city gate, have an all put through his ear, have his servant's uh, signet put in there, and, and he'll be his servant or he'll be his master's for life. Well, today we call that tenure and pension. Folks, in a very real way, we are a servant to money when we are selling our time at an hourly rate for money. We just are, and we have to realize that. Now let's look at let's look at a uh, a laborer. A laborer is what Jesus actually recommends you are. He uses it multiple times in parables, and in one of the parables he uses it. He uses the example of the laborers work in the field and then other laborers show up and the first laborers get a little upset because the second laborers are getting paid the same rate, right? Remember that parable? And it's a oh, great yeah. spiritual parable. It's talking about, you know, he who comes into the kingdom of heaven even at the latest moment is still equal to get the same amount as the guy who gets there first. But it's interesting how he uses laborers to do it. So a laborer evidently gets to set his own rate. Well, today we call that a small business owner. A laborer can work today and take tomorrow off. Huh. A laborer can expand his skill set, so today I might be working your field, but tomorrow I might be mending fishing nets. Which means I have the ability to work today in Chicago and tomorrow in Tampa. Whereas if I'm employed, I dream of going someplace else and think maybe someday if I earn my freedom I can get out of here. And the worst of all is we teach our kids to do the same thing. We teach them, kids, money's not important. Oh, but by the way, make sure you get a good education. Why, mom and dad? So they can sit around and philosophize all day? Oh, no, 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 no. So you can get good money. Oh, gotcha. And I remember I asked a group of Christian dads once. I said, okay, Christian dads, if your daughter comes home with Tattoo Timmy and says, oh, I am in love... I'm going to marry this man. What is the first question you ask him? How are you going to take my daughter? What's the second question you ask him? Uh, how much is the wedding going to cost? What's the third question you ask him? Where do you want to be buried? <laughs> right? I mean, mm -hmm. in reality, we look at these questions, and they're all based on money from a group of Christian dads who just told me money wasn't that important. So why don't we at least grow up about this stuff and says, hey... Let's do this. So, 
you know, we have to at least get to this point where where we we acknowledge that God is telling us don't be a servant to money and most of us there's exceptions but I'm talking to a broad audience most of us are really servants to money we know it we feel it we just don't want to admit it because then we we have to admit what that means how about to how about to those people who say well you know that's nice Josh but here I am I'm uh, you know 58 59 years old I'm I'm what a half a dozen years away from retirement they were collecting a pension. None of this applies to me. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've, you know, I, um, I've been married thirty years. Uh, I, I've got, uh, you know, a nice nest egg put away. None of this that you're talking about. Where does it apply to me? What would you say to somebody like that? Because I, I would, I've heard you ahead. talk about this. No, I just, I, I've, folks, I, I don't think you can pull one over on Josh Tully. I've heard him talk <laughs> about this. I, I love your answers. Go ahead, sir. Well, here's the reality. The reality is that inflation has been a practical level of 10% every year since 1871. So when we look at where we are and, and we are in retirement, this is why we have so many people who are retired who are underwater. This is why there are so many reverse mortgages. This is why there's so many old people working at Walmart. Because the reality is that you mentioned, regardless of how cool it is the day you retire, is never, ever, ever going to keep up inflation. It's also never, ever, ever going to keep up with taxes. So your retirement, your pension that you think is really good right now, is not going to be good in 10 years. Matter of fact, it's going to be about half of what it is today. And if you don't believe me, I put an example in Evangelpreneur of a cop that used to live around the corner, and it's the used to that's going to be the key here. He was a cop in the 60s. He retired by the time I was born, right? Here's a guy who had a great government job with a great government pension, and he was putting away his 10% like they were telling him. And out of his $75 a week, which was awesome back then, he was putting away his $7.50 into retirement, and they were telling him there is no way, shape, or form that your $15,000 or $15,600 house is ever going to be too expensive for you. He had the house paid off by the time Nixon left office. Well, guess what? He now had to move into an assisted living facility because his pension couldn't keep up with inflation. His, his tax payment now on the house was more than the house. See, part of the problem, Doug, is we have a tendency to look at our economic condition as in relation to where we are right now. Well, we can't do that. What we have to do is say, okay, what was the price of bread 30 years ago? Oh, five cents. Gotcha. What's the price of bread now? $2.20? Does that sound like 3% inflation to you? No, matter of fact, if it was 3% inflation, it'd still be under a buck. So let's just extrapolate that out. Do we really expect that to change and go the other way? No. So what is that price of bread going to be 30 years from now? So if you're saving for your pension based on what you earn today, you are admitting, if you have eaten bread, that you are not going to have enough money in retirement, which is why I love seeing the 70 and 80-year-olds in my classes and seminars. I had a 75-year-old guy in a class, and he, him and his wife, actually, and they were fired up, man. They were fired up because finally he said, I feel like I got my life back. 
and they started a business and they are so stinking fired up. They send me pictures of their office as they're growing. And, and he says, man, you totally gave me my youth back. And he was just going to ride off into the sunset and hope that he died before his pension did. Isn't that sick and twisted that we live in a country where we hope we die before the pension does? And that is yeah. a real thing. If you are saving for retirement and you're talking to your financial advisor, they're basically saying... Um, are you going to die before we run out of money? How sick and twisted is that? As opposed to turning to the God who you said would provide, getting into a business and hoping and praying and doing the right things so he can actually bless it. That's what I'm saying. And there, and there it is. You're exactly right. And um, when I look at, um, well, a, a former neighbor, um Again, not not far from retirement him, himself. Excuse me. Um, he had uh, he he had taken a job that was ninety miles away from his home. He had to be there at uh, seven in the morning. He worked until uh, you know five at night or four thirty, whatever it was. So what happened was he 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 commute or instead of commuting, he got an apartment in this town 90 miles away city 90 miles away everything that he had worked for I, I guess this is a long way of saying this everything that he had worked for and talked to me about all, all of his dreams retirement dreams um, and how much he loved his wife and family he lost everything because he sacrificed everything by putting that that job first um and I'm not sure if it's applicable to what you were saying here. I guess in the larger sense it is, but in the in the context of money, making money, um, which is different than creating and maintaining wealth, I, I assert, um, people are crushing their families. I mean, a lot, we're our own worst enemy at times. Um your, I mean, yeah. your thoughts. I mean, it, it's just it. it, it pe- people have been so brainwashed. I, I, I guess, I guess when I when I read books like the Tavistock Institute, and I look back to World War II, and think about how the woman was taken from the home in a nuclear family, made to work or made to feel patriotic to work in the assembly lines, factories during World War II, have to help the war effort. That never flipped back to, uh, to to the woman staying home and the husband working only the husband working or doing whatever the husband would do uh you know have a business or whatever and businesses back in the uh, late 40s or early 50s were a lot more uh, than there are today so I, I said all of that just to say we've you can read books we have read books about the tavistock institute we've cited tavistockian language we're slaves to our own mental um box that we put ourselves in I think. In, in many oh cases. yeah, 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 absolutely. And and you know, it's it's not just money. We put ourselves in that box when it comes to everything. I remember I was a guest on the show over the Father's Day weekend, and we had a similar conversation about fathers. 
you know, what what do we do to get men to be men again in this this world that's lacking manhood? Where have all the men gone? So you're absolutely right. The the box that we've put ourselves in is a box that doesn't allow us to grow in any area of our life, and money is just one of those areas. It just happens to be the area that affects children, women, white people, black people, felons, college graduates. Like that's the one that affects everybody. And it's it's one that people worry so much about. I mean, the number one cause for suicide is financial stress. So we can't pretend this isn't important. And the, right. I think this is why so many churches love having me in to talk about this. And if you are a pastor out there, just go to joshtully.com. You can figure out how to get, get me booked in your church. But because we're, re we're realizing this literally is a matter of life and death. For far too long in the Christian world, it has been either A, poverty gospel, or B, prosperity gospel, and neither one of those gospels is the true gospel. We need to get back to what does the Bible actually say and, and do it. And I, I tell people this all the time, no church should have the audacity to ask for money if they're not also going to biblically teach you how to make that money. You have these pastors talking about, you know, this is what you do in marriage, and this is what you do with your kids, and this is what you do with politics, and this is what you do with gardens, and, you know, there's conferences about homeschooling, there's conferences about, you know, how to make your own dresses or whatever. All these things churches do. Well, where is the conference on how to biblically make money? Right. Well, and if you're not going to teach me, then how dare you take it? That's my take, anyway. Th and it's go. just. Yeah, and that, that's that's why it's to me it's so important when we talk about this. Um, I've gotten emails where people say you talk about uh, the problem but never the solution. You, you offer right. your your you know your slant on on the on the news analysis on the news, but what about we you know what do we do? So this is why we have people like yourself on who are experts in this, and now we can see. Uh, I mean. This is great. Uh, to me, everyone should be listening to this. And by the way, you mentioned churches. This broadcast is being played to a men's group here in our town. And I'm oh, not sure awesome. if I can say the name of the church. First Assembly. Anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> but, so I want to say hello to them. And, uh, um, but, but yeah, so uh, folks, if you, if you're listening to this, regardless of what part of the country you're in, um, book Josh Tully at your church for a conference speaking because this really strikes at the heart of the uh, the issue I yeah I mean here we are so recognizing well, Josh go ahead because we, we only have about uh, two minutes to the top of the hour yeah I, I was going to say you know and this ties directly into marriage too and I'll get to that you know once we get back but when we have men's groups when we have marriage classes yeah, a lot of this has been built around the lack in our lives as opposed to what are we going to do to expand the kingdom. And if you really think about it, that's what it is. Oh, men, we are lacking fellowship. Let's create a men's group. We're lacking camaraderie. Let's commit a, create a men's group. And that's good. That's fine. They, you know, That's why people join other things like biker clubs and all that sort of stuff. Totally get it. But we have to then get to then how do we then expand this kingdom. I think every church should have a map and they should have a war room and say, hey, what part of this city are we taking over next? <laughs> I love it. Let's saddle for battle. Let's create the war rooms inside our churches. Hey, I know some uh, religions of, of peace are, are doing that, right? Uh, except 
<laughs> except with a different motive and intent. Josh Tully is, is our co-host guest. We're going to be right back. Just stay right where you're at. This is the Global Star Radio Network. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. I'm Doug Hagman. Well, one of the two Hagmans, not quite uh, a full boat here. Joe's recovering from surgery, successful. He's, he'll be back in on Monday. Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer going to be in studio tomorrow. And, in fact, Joe might show up tomorrow to say hello to Coach Dobbenmeyer. And he might stick around. So it'll it'll be an interesting uh, interesting day, interesting interview. And, of course, I, I was able to have some dialogue with the coach today, and he's uh, he's all fired up, ready to go. So, And, by the way, Coach Dobbenmeyer, as well as Josh Tully, will be at the upcoming Hear the Watchman conference in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, September 30th, October 1st and 2nd. Uh, Josh Holly is going to be a speaker at the, that conference. Folks, don't miss it. I mean, you want to, you, you, you can, I mean, listen to what Josh is saying here. Now you've got a chance to rub elbows with him and meet him up close. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, fantastic. So that's coming up. So make your reservations for that. And, um, I'm just trying to think uh, what else we have on on the docket. No, that's about it. Uh, and folks, by the way, Josh is an author. Josh Tolley is an author. He's got a YouTube channel. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. Josh Tolley, T-O-L-L-E-Y. Subscribe to his YouTube channel. His programs are up there. Uh, I had watched yesterday, his program from yesterday, The Devil Himself Trembles That These Bikers Want In. We had discussed that yesterday. Fantastic. Um Really, event just a fantastic topic. Uh, but I'm going to turn it over to you, uh, Josh. Take us where you want to take us. In fact, I'm going to kind of cop out a little bit because I'm having a rough time here. I'm going to feign illness. Actually, um, I'm trying. To, I'm fighting off both sneezes and congestion, trying to make my words out here. So, if I can ask you to kind of pick up, uh, pick up the heavy load, and, and take us where your heart leads us. Take us where you'd like to take us right now. 
Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, you know, I wanted to touch upon something that we kind of hit near the end of that, that segment. And that's this idea that entrepreneurship money actually impacts marriages as well. And I teach this in a seminar, and people who want to come to a seminar, just go to joshtully.com, make sure you're subscribed to us, and whenever we host one, we'll let you know. But uh, I teach this in the seminar, that right now, the divorce rate is between 50 and 60%. It's terrible. The problems within marriage, even those that are staying together, are still terrible. I forgot the exact stat, but it's somewhere between 30 and 40% of, of marriages will experience infidelity. And if you go to a marriage counselor, a pastor, a therapist, whatever, they're going to tell you that the top reasons for divorce are money, communication, sex, and infidelity. And when I wrote my first book, Quit Your Job or Die, which you can still get on Amazon, it's still out there, I did a lot of research into money and marriage and, and how those things affect each other. And the reality is, like I referenced yesterday, the average American married couple spends 19 minutes of alone time together every day. So that is just absolutely crazy. You cannot have a quality marriage in 19 minutes. So what happens is, if, if you look at the first one, communication, sex, money, oh well, yeah, communication, sex, money, and infidelity, how much communication are you supposed to have in 19 minutes? It's not going to happen. So instead, we come up with books like, you know, The Love Languages and Nothing Against Gary. It's a great book. Everybody should read it. That's not what I'm saying. But we come up with books and conferences and, you know, remember to do these little things. And those little things are important. But the point is, we are trying to supplement the loss of time that we should be spending with our spouse. So we come up with all these things that we can do when we're supposed to be with them when we're really not with them. So communication, of course, is obviously not going to be good. Then, of course, we have the uh, sex. Well, again, 19 minutes. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, we, we know that men are like microwaves. Women are like crockpots. But in 19 minutes, really? I mean, you, you're supposed to, that's all the time you have, and then we wonder why. Why? Why is there this impossibility to, to maintain good uh, sex lives with our spouses? Well, it's because you're working all the time. And then money. Notice how it's never too much of it that causes the argument. It's never, oh my goodness, honey, you just keep leaving hundreds all over the place, and it's really starting to get on my nerves. The argument is always over a lack thereof. So for a long time I was teaching, well, the reality is that the cause for divorce is money, 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 and infidelity. Infidelity, well, that's just you. That's just that's just on you. Something's wrong in your, your heart. That's some sort of personal issue. But if you really think about it, it's not. It's not. Even infidelity has its root in employment and money. If you look at if you look at the the most common situation, a couple gets married. They say, mwah, 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 "I love you," and "I love you too," and then they come back from their weekend away, and he goes off to work. He goes off to work where there's a woman there who sees him making decisions, being decisive, taking risks, being a leader, doing all the things that a woman loves to see a man do. Then he comes home and puts on his 
his sweatpants, cracks open a beer, turns on the game, and spends 19 wonderful minutes with his wife. But then on her side, too, she puts on her pretty makeup, her pretty clothes, pretty perfume, goes off to work, typically for a man. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It just is. Typically for a man. And she gets to be his helpmeet. She gets to see him make decisions, be decisive, be a man. Well, do you know where the number one place for infidelity is? Employment! I wonder why. And then she comes home and takes off all the pretty stuff, puts on her sweatpants or yoga pants, and gripes at him. And she'll say something like, well, you're not really a good man. You're not making the decisions you need to to provide for my, my family. And, and why won't you take out the trash and all these things? And what's really happening is she is saying, why can't you be like the man at work that I'm his help meet for? And he's saying, well, you're just nagging me. You don't actually help me. You don't encourage me. You don't respect me. Why can't you be like the woman that I spend 40 hours a week with? So the reality is that employment is extremely dangerous to your marriage. But again, it's something that we typically don't teach in our men's groups. We typically don't teach in our churches. Well, how is she supposed to be your helpmate if you don't have anything that she's going to help you with? You're supposed to be building a life together. And then what typically happens is the last kid will turn 18, go off to college, and they'll look at each other each other and say, well, I don't feel like I know you anymore. Well, the reality is you don't know them anymore because you didn't really know them to begin with. You've spent 19 minutes a day with them. And for goodness sakes, my motorcycle knows me better than most spouses know each other. So we have to, again, get to this point, Doug, where we're honest with each other. I understand that there are some awesome guests talking about some awesome things. We have shared guests in that way. You know, whether it's somebody talking about UFOs or demons or New World Order or whatever. It's awesome stuff. But when are we going to sit back, look in the mirror and say, hey, wait a second. There might be something happening here. There might be a conspiracy inside of my own house. The devil might have done something here where he's making me work with a woman for 30, 40 hours a week. That's a conspiracy. Matter of fact, the Bible even alludes to this. It says we do not fight against flesh and blood, correct? So right. we have to say to ourselves, ah, man, if, if, if we're going to fight, we have to fight for our families. So that's just one of the things I wanted to bring up before we... Uh, before well, we, and I think we that, move that's on. The, yeah, that, that's so important, uh, Josh. I think I, I think you, you you really hit a home run on that one. Um, you know, absolutely. I look look at the at the devil already inside the gates, inside your yep. home, perhaps, and, and that's most of us will find issues outside of that that home life, but uh, but. A lot of times the real problem exists within our four, own four walls. So I agree. Very interesting and very telling. And I've I've known a lot of people that have gone through divorces for a lot of reasons. But but you're right. It's usually well money and not the not the uh, abundance of it and uh, infidelity. And I and I understand how that could happen if you're only spending under 20 minutes a day with the person that you promised to spend the rest of your life with. It just doesn't make yeah. any sense. 
Yeah, um, and the, and there's there's no shared vision and there's no shared dream. It's almost like we say, okay, what's your goal in life? And you can do that while you're married. And what's his goal in life? Okay, and you can do that while you're married. And you're not really helping each other do anything. Well, that is completely contrary to what the Bible said. The Bible said, wait a second, it's not right for this dude to be alone. I'm paraphrasing. God didn't say dude. But it's not right for this dude to be alone. i got to make him a helpmeet. Well, today we're saying, eh, well, I really don't want uh, my wife to be the one that helps me because that doesn't pay well enough, I guess. So I'm going to go off and I'm going to work someplace else and have a total stranger get to know me and I'm going to fall in love with her. And and you know what's crazy is they really do fall in love. They really do. And and as much as you know, people who are cheated on, and I've been cheated on, I know it hurts, but as much as that hurts, it's true. And then you ask yourself, why? Well, because they spend all day together. Her. And they're doing something together. So, of course, there's going to be a, a love connection that builds there. So, anyway, I just wanted to talk about that. I know we're running uh, we're running fast with time, and I did want to cover you're, you're going, the yeah, Civil you're War going, issue. Yeah, let, let's do that. Um, please, go for it. Okay. So, people ask me all the time, all right, all right, all right, Josh, I get it. I need to buy your book. I need to attend a seminar. I need to book you in our church. Totally sold. Let's do this. But... But what happens if there is a civil war? And it seems like that is the thing that everybody is suspecting that someday is going to happen, but nobody really wants to say out loud. And I want to reiterate to all the FBI agents and NSA agents that are listening, them and their pretend girlfriends, I am not advocating violence in any way, shape, or form. I am not urging civil war. That's not it at all. But it's a question that continually is asked, so I'm going to answer it as a figurative situation, a fictional tale, and that's exactly what it is. So with that said and out of the way, how this would work if this were really to happen, it depends on when. See, we all know that if a civil war happened a hundred years ago, that the troops would be on the people's sides. They would not violate the Constitution. They would not kill Obama just to give gun because there was a different sort of people then. We raised our children differently. Well, today, we raise our children in the opposite direction. Look at the police killings, the violence, uh, the thug mentality, if you will, of law enforcement. I had a police chief for a very large city while well, he was assistant police chief, so second show and he was saying Josh I absolutely fear the police I tell my children to fear the police so this is a real thing things have changed we are not this innocent nation where we we are innocent until proven guilty we are guilty until we're proven innocent and even then most likely we're going to be found guilty anyway so if a civil war is going to happen you're going to want it to happen as soon as possible because the social decay in this country is going to continue. So you want it to happen while there's still people with some heart, some sense, and some maturity behind some of the uh, the big guns, if you will. But the reality is this. The reality is that if, if, if there were to be a civil war and we were making a movie about it, you would have a situation where one... The country is too big to completely occupy. We've talked about that yesterday. Even if you took every cop and every troop, it is still too big. This is a mamma-jamma country. 
So you would first start to see pockets of control. You would have to control political centers, money centers, and shipping routes and ports and, and that sort of thing. Which means if you're out of those sort of areas, you're actually going to fare pretty well. You might have some local law enforcement, small departments, 10 officers or less. Some of them might actually agree with your side, so you might be pretty good. The other thing that people don't take into consideration is you would also have help from Russia and or China. And yeah, I am, I'm meaning help. Think about it. America has helped people in their civil wars, have we not? If there's a civil war on this planet, we choose sides, we fund adversaries. We're doing it right now in Syria, for goodness sakes. We did it twice in Egypt in the past 24 months. Well, the same is true with other powers. They see a window of opportunity, and they help the resistance. And right now, a thousand heads across the country listening to this just went, Huh, I never thought of that. But it's true. So if that were to happen, you would have Russian and Chinese allies quicker than, you know, you could, I don't know, run a, run a race or whatever. But you would, you would have that. You would also have this, this crashing of an economic system. And to be honest, that's kind of good. Because we would get back to a place where your food would actually be food again. We would get to a place where you could have sub-economies under a large economy. Because there would be a disruption in the flow of economics and that allows for opportunity. So that's my kind of take on civil war. And it again, in a weird tangential sort of way, it kind of points out why entrepreneurship is so important. I have a grandmother. She was young during the Great Depression, but she was around. And uh, coming out of it anyway. And her family lived in a rural area. Her family didn't even realize there was a depression. Because you grew your own garden, you hunted deer, you fished out of the lake, you built your own house, you used money maybe four times a year. It's the urban people who got the worst of it. It was the people living in Chicago, the people living in New York, the people living in, you know, Boston. They took the brunt of the, the catastrophe that came out of it because they weren't allowed to be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs aren't just entrepreneurs when it comes to money. Entrepreneurs are people who know how to barter with food. They know how to uh, appreciate ammo. Like, for example, let's say something bad was going to happen in your town and you have a nice new shiny Lexus and you're fearing some sort of thing that's going to declare martial law or you're going to have to bug out. Of course, you're not going to want to take the Lexus. So you're going to have to learn how to get value out of something that you actually don't want. Another great example of that is gold. People ask me all the time, Josh, what do you think of gold and, and silver and precious metals? Cool. Cool. My overall thought process, because I love logic, reason, and strategy, my overall thought process is one's strategy should never be limited to one strategy. So with that in mind, when you look at gold and silver and precious metals, yes, there is a place for them. Yes, there is a place in, in them for you. But you have to be strategic and you have to say, well, what am I going to do with it? So for example, let's say you had a gold dollar. Gold U.S. dollar, right? Now we all know that it's worth about $1,200 in real life. 
But let's say the economy tanks, you have a Mad Max world, whatever it is you think you're going to have to prep for, and you're trying to get out of your town. Now you collected these gold dollar coins just for this kind of situation. So away through town you go. And you're thinking to yourself, well, we're going to need to get some provisions. Maybe we'll get that beat up truck right there. And you get out of your car and you're negotiating with your typical average American. And you're going to say, hey, I want to trade you this gold coin for that truck. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen jaywalking or any of these man on the street sort of reports. But what's the average American think of something that says one U.S. dollar? Yeah. <laughs> They're going to look at you and say, hey, buddy, I don't want no dollar. And you're going to try to sit there and say, oh, no, it's actually not a dollar. It's worth, you know, $1,300. Well, that ain't going to work for me. So even in that sort of situation, you have to say, hey, wait a second. Well, then maybe instead one ounce gold bars would work better because I'm knowing the mindset of my customer base. And I know that they're going to understand the marketing behind a gold bar rather than a gold coin. So even like things like that, Doug, it's, it's, it's amazing how entrepreneurial skills, marketing, understanding your customers, ability to negotiate, product storage and distribution, all come into play even in a prepper situation like that. So, Finely tuned. So, Finely so, tuned. You, you know, and we have to think. I mean, this is what I'm getting from you. We have to think ahead, and not just one or two steps ahead, but multiple steps ahead. And uh, and I like I like how you painted that picture because, yeah, you're not going to take the Lexus or the uh, whatever. Um, plus, of course, you're making yourself a target depending on where you're going. Um, and well, there's a lot of issues here. But 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 you're right. You know what kind of surprised me what you said, going back a little ways. And I've really never gave it that much thought, folks. Did you hear what Josh said about you're going to have involvement? foreign involvement most likely in, in the civil war Russia perhaps China other countries but they're going to be fighting for us right well they're going to be fighting for one side that's for sure they're not going to stay out of it <laughs> that, right. that, would, that, that would be the first time in the history of the planet that the other prevailing powers didn't get involved in a civil war inside the other prevailing powers civil war ship so, yeah, they would definitely be involved in some way, shape, or form, and you have to take that into account. But, I mean, a, a great example, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. I was watching uh, Red Dawn, the old version, not the new one, the old oh, one yeah, with yeah. Uh, Patrick Swayze. And I was watching it with some family and friends, and, you know, this idea that somehow Russia took over the Pacific Northwest, and people were saying, well that I was watching it with, well, that wouldn't happen. I mean, our Air Force would push them back, and, and we would fight them, and this is just fake. And I said, no, it, it's actually not as far off base as you think, because think about this. If we were to be attacked at home, what's the first thing that the military is going to do? First, we have to realize almost half of it's not in this country. Then we have to realize 7 out of 10 people in the military are not fighting forces. I understand they all go through boot camp but you know just being real here seven out of ten of them are not fighting forces as soon as you were attacked the the bases would be uh, fortified because you need to protect where you're keeping your military resource the political system would be fortified which means there are going to be very few people to come to your rescue to be quite honest 
And because we're such a massive country, you could actually see something like Red Dawn happen and not have a U.S. response for maybe one, two, three weeks because they would have to, from a strategic standpoint, devote resources to preventing their infrastructure from being attacked and fall or and, and falling. So we we tended to fail to put logistics into play when it comes to things like this. But logistics is exactly where we get the difference between some sort of weird fantasy fiction, some sort of fear porn scenario, and a and, and a reality based situation like we would have in that situation. For goodness sakes, I mean yeah. even in World War Two in Germany, not even all of Germany could have been occupied. There were pockets of freedom inside Germany. You don't think there's gonna and that's the size of Wisconsin. You don't think there's gonna be pockets of freedom inside a country this big? Come on. You know, uh, no, I mean you're right. You're exactly right, and, and I'm working through this in my mind. Um, everything that you said to me is is right on the money. We have to think through these things that we talk about. Now, I, I will say that much of, in my view, anyway, much of the um, element, the antagonistic element, I suppose, I could describe it this way. Uh, or a significant number of the antagonistic element has been brought into this country, in my view, through this, this uh, under the guise of, of immigration, refugee resettlement, whatever you want to call it, immigration from 65 to the current day. Um, so we've already kind of, we're already at a lack of assimilation problem there and we had talked earlier about the situation in in uh, Minnesota I believe it was with the yeah uh, you know so we're, we're are, are we seeing we're seeing sides already forming right and, and these cliques and and um, you use the the term in a different context tribe but uh, we're seeing this already take form and take place well absolutely so, Absolutely, and and that's why creating a tribe is so important. It really is. People should be part of a tribe. And we right. don't even know what that looks like anymore. But, I mean, just from a power structure standpoint, leaders of tribes in, in a, lot of, a lot of Native American uh, nations, the leader of a tribe didn't hold all the power. Matter of fact, in a lot of cases, he actually got less of the provision. So it really was the least amongst you will be greatest. But we have to get to this point where we say, okay, these are the people who I'm loyal to. These are the the objectives that our group has. Because you know if we were to face some sort of collapse or fall, that the gangs are already tribal, the motorcycle clubs are already tribal, the Muslim population is already tribal, the Jewish population is already tribal. What about the mass majority of Americans? The, the average, everyday, Asian, white, black, Hispanic American. We have no tribes that we're part of. And we are actually being taught that being part of a tribe is a bad thing. Oh, you know, you don't want to be part of a, of a motorcycle club. Like that show that you listened to for that I did yesterday with that biker club. You know, he was talking about how they're they're judged, you know. They they pull into a gas station and oh no, here's the big bad bikers. But is that true? No, it's not. The opposite is true. That he's part of a group of men and their wives and families that are there for each other no matter what. They took a pledge. They took an oath. They made a covenant. 
and we don't understand the importance of covenants anymore. Look at how look at how frivolously we treat our faith. Well, God doesn't treat it he doesn't treat it that way. He treats it in a way that is literally a matter of life and death. But we're just like, oh well, you know, I'm just gonna toss this on the wayside and maybe I'll pick it up once in a while. And what is one of the biggest fears when it comes to Christians? Oh, I don't want people to think I'm one of those kooky Christians. I don't want people to think I'm one of those, you know, maybe they'll think I'm in a cult or something. And we are so afraid of that that we don't move forward with what we're supposed to do. You're supposed to be different. God said you are supposed to be a set-apart people. Well, are we doing what we need to do to set ourselves apart? You know, I was talking about this today. Why are there 31,000 or 41,000 Christian denominations? If if this is supposedly the truth, why are there and that's that's a real number. It's somewhere between 31 41,000 Christian denominations. Why? And the reality is that we don't have a commitment to the faith. Instead, we are emotionally turned. Wherever our emotion wants to go, oh, I don't agree with what they said, or I don't like the pastor, or they don't have good worship music, or the kids' ministry doesn't have the right coloring books, we're going to leave. And it's just so terrible to think that our emotions are driving our logic, when in reality your logic is supposed to frame out your emotions. And that's why we can't create tribes. That's why Christians don't want to be seen as different. I watched this atheist make a great point. He made a great point about how Christians just look and sound like the real world. He took a Christian movie and held it up next to a secular movie. He took a Christian band and held it up next to a, a secular band. And it's really just cover songs of secular music. Christian branding and shirts look like Coca-Cola and Nike. We're not unique because we don't want to be. Well, folks, we have to be. We have to be. We have to say to ourselves, how are we going to be different? Because that that is what is persecuted. Yep, because the first thing people say is, well, Josh, I don't know about that. I mean, look what happened in Waco. Those people were different. Look what happened to anybody who says they're different. They get their heads chopped off. Yep, that's exactly right. When not enough of them do it, yep, you're right. But when enough of them do it, nah. Folks, yeah, this is... That's a great point. Go ahead. That's a, no, that, that, that's a terrific point. And I use that analogy with, uh, with the TSA. You know, one person, uh, creates a problem or says no I'm not you're not going to you're not going to nuke me or grope me and they get arrested the two people or three people do it nah, it creates a scene and, and and maybe there's um some press coverage I don't know uh but if everyone did it what what a big difference we could make and if everyone did it just once or twice or you know but, but hopefully sustained I mean we have the power to make a difference so with what you just said yes um we have that power. We just need to use it. And and uh, Waco or not, I mean, and a lot of that too, that characterization of these um, these different uh, breakoffs or these d- different groups, intentionally deceptive, incredibly deceptive. 
So be careful what you read and what you listen to. And and we saw this at the Bundy Ranch, and uh, you know the, the oh, mischaracterizations. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. And, and the other thing, and that's oh, go ahead. No, just one more thing. The other thing too, uh, that maybe you can speak to is one of the things that I like to talk about is the fact that everyone's waiting for that big event to take place, whatever it might be. I don't know, right. but that Lexington and Concord moment. Meanwhile, we're missing all of the well, <laughs> everything that's going on around us. We're, we're we're looking for the big event and losing the smaller battles. So that's you know we should redirect our focus. Absolutely, and like any fan of football will tell you, a game is won or lost on the inches. It's not won or lost on the big plays. So you're right. We are we're losing it on inches, and they get to miscategorize. So we get we create a fear and say, oh, we don't want to be like fill in the blank. We don't want to actually stand up for what we believe in. Can't we just coexist? Can't we listen to everybody's perspective? Can't everybody be right? Can't everybody be right, Josh? And the answer is no. But we're not mature enough to say that. No, not everybody's right. No, not everybody's getting to heaven. No, there's not multiple ways there. No, it doesn't work that way. But if we actually stood up together, you're absolutely right. And it's kind of like cows. Let me tell you a story about cows. A cow, let's say a cow is 1,200 pounds, right? There is no way that a barbed wire fence will actually stop a cow if the cow wants out. The cow just is convinced that, ow, that hurt a little bit. I got pricked. So I'm going to stay here. But 1,200 pounds moving against a wooden fence is not going to stop the cow. The cow doesn't know that he it's, it's better to face the little bit of pain now than to get your head chopped off tomorrow. Well, now let's add 350 million cows to the, the pen. The only reason those cows are there is because they're not walking east. If those cows decided to walk east, there's nothing that is stopping them. Their captivity is an illusion. And every farmer knows that. So, I mean, it, it's, you know, another example. I, I saw this picture of a kid in India who was leading an elephant around with a stick. <laughs> if the elephant actually figured out he's an elephant, the kid is gone. The elephant is out of here. And it, this is no exaggeration. That's exactly how they deal with elephants. I'm serious. If, if yeah, you talk to yeah. elephant trainers, the problem that they have with an elephant, once the elephant figures out he's an elephant, they put the elephant down because there's no longer any way to control him. They will actually kill the elephant. Because after that point, the elephant realizes, oh, Bubba, you ain't stopping me with that little stick. So they'll literally kill the elephant. Well, folks, that's where we are. There's 350 million of us. Just walk east. They can't stop you. But instead, we're fighting over the stupidest stuff. We're fighting over, you know, well, Josh, you know, I don't like the Methodist. I'm a Baptist. Or, Josh, I don't like libertarians. I'm a conservative. Or, Josh, I don't like... Hey, that's like saying, hey, cow, I don't like your spots. I'm a Holstein. You're a Jersey. Well, wake up, folks. You're all cows. The farmer doesn't care what kind of cow you are. The head's coming off. Does does the devil only go after Baptists? No. Does the devil only go after uh, charismatics? No. So why are you? 
<laughs> Why are we doing this stupid thing? You are actually That's making right. the devil's job easier. The devil has to be sit back thinking, no way. No way is it this easy. They're actually fighting each other. I don't even have to get involved anymore. Because if yeah. you think about it, Peter and Paul, they butt heads. They didn't agree. But they said, come, let us reason together. They didn't say, okay, everybody, there's 12 of us. Let's all start 12 denominations. They said, no, there's 12 of us that don't agree. We are forming one tribe, and we're going to work this crap out, man. We are going to get this right internally because we are stronger together than we are separate. And today we're like, ah, nah, you know, I, I don't like my neighbor, so I'm out of here. And we give up on everything. And wow. then we complain that the New World Order did it to us. But, no, that's like complaining the farmer did it to you when you had the gate open all day. That's right. And, and I would urge everyone to listen to the uh, two hours last night in addition to tonight. Yeah. And you, you'll get this well-rounded presentation uh, by Josh Tolley, his website, joshtolley, T-O-L-L-E-Y.com. You'll get this well-rounded presentation that really hits everything home and so for anyone who sends me an email saying well wait a minute you, you know you just talk about the uh, impending doom but you don't talk about what we can do about it the operational tactics of operating behind enemy lines well this is what you're getting right now so i want to you know just say thank you for that but but yeah you know we and we can win on the numbers too it's amazing yes. for, for me to think just, just show up that's all we got to do well, and, and the other thing, Doug, is, is we covered five steps. We covered five steps of how do you get started. Identify why you're here. Get involved in small business. Get involved in making a tribe around you. Get your neighborhood together to listen to the Hagmans every night. Or maybe they just do it together once a week or something. But you have to start building that tribal mentality. Then take out a map and say, what part of this city is going to be our part? And then take out a map of the county and start saying, hey, we're going to take back these counties. Because if we start taking back the counties, again, we nullify D.C. and whatever crazy crackpot stuff they come out of or come out with. So that's how you do it. What's important to you? Get devoted to, to back to what's in the important thing. Recommit to your wife. And as weird as that might sound, the, fixing a country is the same as fixing a business. I help so many people fix their business. One of the first things I do if they're married is I fix their marriage. And it's amazing how many times if I fix the marriage, the business actually straightens out. The same is true with politics. The same is true. Look at, look at where we are now and the divorce rate we have now. Look at where we were a hundred years ago and the lack of divorce rate we had a hundred years ago. There's a correlation there, folks. They don't want you to think that or realize it, and then they'll fill you with a bunch of weirdness like, well, yeah, but those husbands were beating their wives. Those husbands were abusing their wives. Those wives didn't want to be married. That is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. If you look at letters coming out of World War I, they are some of the most romantic letters you will ever read in your life. If you look at letters going between husband and wife in the Revolutionary War, was there spousal abuse? Sure, there's spousal abuse now. Forty women just got raped at a musical fest in Sweden. But the reality is that there's a lie that these women back then were abused and beaten and unhappy. I cannot tell you how many women contact me and say, Josh, I want to be a stay-at-home wife. 
I want to be a stay-at-home mother. I want to be somebody who who uplifts and works alongside my husband. I want to make him lunch. I want to you know, make sure the kids are off to school well. But they've been taught that how dare you want that. Now, if you want to chop off your willy and call yourself a woman, that's okay or that's fine. But if you want to provide for your children, how dare you? Folks, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. This is why we have to get past the lie. And men, start being men. It is okay. I cannot tell you the number of couples that I've coached, because I coach couples too, where the wife will tell me, Josh, I just want him to tell me what to do. Not in a mean way, not in a in a totalitarian sort of way, but she wants leadership. It's almost as if she was designed to be a helpmeet. Oh, wait a second. That's what that book said. And women have been taught not to want it. Men have been taught not to to say it. Oh, I'm not going to say that. I'm not. And now we're to the point where, well, Josh, I don't even know. Should I uh should I open her door or is that considered sexist? Do not tell me that there's not a correlation between that conversation and the New World Order. There's not a com- correlation between that conversation and chemtrails. You want to fix chemtrails? Entrepreneurship and marriage. You want to fix GMO? Entrepreneurship and marriage. You want to fix the lie behind the Smithsonian? Entrepreneurship and marriage. You want to fix the UFO lies? Entrepreneurship and marriage. But we it's get away control. from these things. It is absolutely yeah. about control. Yeah. And we have the ability to control, I mean, we have that control ability or ability to retake control, but we don't realize it like the cow um, facing the barbed wire fence and, you know, uh, 1,200 pounds against a, a, a very thin wire when, in fact, uh, it's all just conditioning. So we've been conditioned. And I can't tell you how many people, how many women, how many wives I've gotten emails from who've said, uh, Doug, can you help me? My husband... He doesn't care. He, he he just he's out to lunch basically. He just he, he's out. Uh, he plays golf. He he uh, he works. He doesn't want to have any. He won't listen to to any anyone's shows. He, he just he thinks that all of this is just is just BS and, and variations thereof, of course. What do you say to that woman, if I can ask? What do you say to that woman uh, or women like that who want to want to do the right thing, want to get their? I mean, how, you can't. How do you make their husbands, or how does the woman in a relationship? And I know you, you might you might say, "Well, look, I already said this," but but just to reaffirm this, how do you how does the woman in that relationship address the lack of leadership of the husband? Because at some point, things are going to get really bad. I got a feeling uh, in that in that relationship. Well, what you have to do is you have to realize that your husband doesn't have to read what you read or listen to what you listen to in order to benefit what from what you know. One of the best things I tell women is if you want to have a good leader in your house, tell him what a great leader he is. Say, you know what, honey, when you made that decision to get pizza tonight instead of Greek food, I just want to tell you that was a great decision and leave it at that. And then the next day, you know what? You were right when you said, you know, wait until after the rain to mow the lawn. If if we would have started beforehand, we would have got halfway through it. I'm so glad you're a good leader. And leave it at that. 
What happens is so many women want to have this massive conversation that fixes everything by the end of that conversation. And that's not going to happen. That's not how men work. So you kind of have to motivate him a little bit. You know, hey, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. And what you're going to find is he's going to naturally want to get that praise again. He just is. Every human on the planet works this way. He's going to want to get that praise again. Don't be like, oh my goodness, you have to listen to Josh and Doug talk about what's happening in the world. And honey, you're not paying attention if you don't. No, don't do that. He'll never listen then. Just do what we what I just talked about for a while. And when he says, man, what changed? This is awesome, honey. What change came over you? Say, oh, it was something that Josh and Doug were talking about a few months ago. Really? And don't say, yeah, that's why you should listen. Just leave it at really. Leave it at because that. now yeah. he's kind of curious. Oh, well, maybe it's not as bad. But see, if, if, if you tell him how bad he is, that's a blow to his pride. That's a blow to his ego. That's emotion. And that's going to get you the response that you're not looking for. But, Doug, you know something? I want to cover something real quick that I, I sure. wanted to cover. We've known each other for a few years now. I, I don't know if the first time I was on was three years ago or four years ago. But I wanted to bring this up because we were talking about something on a show that we did together. And we have been proven absolutely dead on right. I was on your show a number of years ago and we were talking about population decline. And everybody and their brother was sending me emails, Josh, you're nuts. The population's exploding. That's just crazy yep. population decline. Well, since then, it has come out that 48.5% of women in this country have zero children. Since then, uh, Japan lost over one million people. Since then... We have now started accepting women into combat roles, and it's not because of equality. I have on my show, there's a clip of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs saying quite plainly, well, I think everybody knows now we're running out of people. Kindergarten classes have gotten smaller and smaller since you and I talked about this. And just, two, I think, two or three weeks ago, a report came out that said the birth rate has hit the lowest it's ever been in recorded history. So I just wanted to let everybody know that when Doug and I talked about that years ago, that it was years ahead of where everybody else is now. And this is why I love alternative media. And I just wanted to bring that up before we ran out of time. You, you know, th thank you for, for doing that. And I could tell, tell you this was... Um, it was in September, I believe it was 2014, uh, September 4th of 2014. You, I believe your first appearance was 2013, so that would be three years that you've been uh, you've been part of our program. And I do, I remember that that, that program specifically about population, and I, I remember getting some blowback on that as well. Um, but but you're you're 100 percent right. So uh, go back, folks, to our September 4th fourth of twenty fourteen program and there it is. So fantastic. Wow. Well you've done it again, man. You have closed us out. I just I, th thank you for doing the heavy lifting uh, tonight. I really appreciate it. I know that you've got to be exhausted, my goodness, doing two hours of your own show. <laughs> but uh I just want to say thank you for helping helping me out as being a being a co host and uh, carrying the weight tonight. Uh, is there anything in, in the final two minutes that you might want to 
say uh, anything at all? That, uh... Uh, yeah, I, I just want to say that that what you and Joe are doing are, is is wonderful. I love the fact that you guys are on the air. I'm thankful that you're not on the air when I'm on the air. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad Joe's recovering well. And I, I guess just real quickly, uh, people can follow me joshtully.com. Uh, the Josh Tully channel on YouTube. Yep. Go over there and subscribe. Um, what else? We constantly do seminars and speaking engagements. I love, love, love talking to churches. Churches love it too. It's just a win-win. So if you're a pastor of a church, reach out and uh, let's make that happen. Um, what else? Uh, no, I highly recommend you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I recommend both of your books, but uh, yeah. especially the book I, I cannot pronounce or haven't been able to pronounce yet <laughs> correctly today. But but joshtolly.com, and from there you can certainly uh, go to subscribe to his YouTube channel, as he said, and uh, watch his programs. I, I, I do love watching your programs. A consummate professional, and uh, and I, oh, as I so mentioned nice. during the break, we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna kind of. Uh, model a few segments of our show after years. So, uh, good stuff coming ahead. Josh, thank you so much for, for being a part thank of you, our program friend. in our life, man. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Right. Have a great night, guys. Thank you. Folks, that was Josh Tully. What a great guy. I, I mean, you know, there it is laid out, at least in my estimation, laid out right before us what we need to do. And, and look, I, I know that a lot of this is not, you might think, well, it doesn't apply to me, and you might come up with a lot of reasons, and and I understand that. Hey, I'm too old, or I've got a, I've got a criminal record, what, what can I possibly do? I, I get all that, and I think a lot of people are in that mentality, but that mentality is a product of your own conditioning. That mentality, that thinking is a product or a consequence of the programming, the Tavistock Institute. This is what they do. The, hey, you can't break through break through the cage, for example. And, and just like the elephant that Josh Shelley was talking about, you know, I did read somewhere, and I'm not, it sounds logical, where when the ele- elephants are small, they, they put these leg irons and, and weights on their legs, to make them more immobile, all right? So, more trainable, obviously. And that's where we are. Years upon years and decades of listening to the evening news with Walter Cronkite, getting our news from them, uh, from him, and, and that that bevy of, of uh, a conglomerate of corporate news stations um, schools being educated in the schools the school districts being told that you can't fight city hall all of these are lies from the pit from the pit of hell they really are because we can fight city hall we can get out there and say you know what we are going to take back our section or take back what we need to take back as far as this country is concerned or at least for my family my immediate immediate uh, uh, my neighborhood, whatever it might be, because you heard Josh say, "Look at the, look at the local politics. Look at the sheriff's departments." And I didn't know this. The sheriff's departments being closed and replaced by county police forces. Oh, that's a big deal. Because 
the sheriff's departments are the the most uh, powerful law enforcement agencies in the state, basically. I mean, we don't have time to get into the mechanics of it, but but trust me when I say you don't want to lose your county's sheriff. You don't want to lose your sheriff's department. Um, so all of that combined, I I hope you found that uh, that this was very enlightening because I did as I sat back and listened to this and I'm glad he carried the weight on this and by the way I just want to say this uh, I got the email and, and, and thanks uh, somebody wrote me and said you know why are you taking all that big pharma stuff for your uh, uh, for your cold and or whatever you've got the, the crud that you've got and I, I was just trying to make a joke to um, basically make a joke to uh, uh, legitimize or, or, or attempt to explain away my inability to talk coherently and string sentences together so you know that was not successful we are i, I am taking uh, uh uh health masters and uh essential oils believe in those products in fact health masters is is boy some kick butt stuff they're vitamin c huh. you can you can tell the difference but i just want to because you know somebody's Somebody had written me and said, "Yeah, it's kind of hypocritical, don't you think?" No, I was just kind of being uh, trying to make a joke and, and being funny and, and trying to justify my inability to talk. So that's that. Watch carefully, folks. And we're going to be talking about this tomorrow, uh, in among other things, it, amongst other things, with Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer here. We are going to be talking about a number of initiatives um, with respect to what's happening in our court systems. Hmm. You're going to want to. You're going to want to join us tomorrow, Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, uh He's traveling, and hence he's going to be here tomorrow. Uh, you're going to want to know where he's traveling to and what he's doing. You're going to find that uh, boots on the ground. We have them, and we have people in the game. PTSalt.com. So tomorrow's going to be a really great show. I would urge everyone to to make sure you tell your family and friends about tomorrow's show, Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer. Uh, CoachDaveLive.com CoachDaveLive.com And I just want to say, lastly, thank you so much to Minuteman Stove. All right, Minuteman Stove. Folks, if you haven't gone to Minuteman Stove, go there. Uh, It's actually MinutemanStove.com Real simple. MinutemanStove.com Grab a hold of their rocket stove right now for a limited time to our listeners free shipping on Minuteman rocket stoves and fire starters and they're now shipping to Canada this is a fantastic item for your preps I love I love ours I and I'm not a guy that cooks you know using this kind of stuff but if I can work this I mean it, it's, it's it's pretty idiot, idiot proof as I can show you but it really works and it makes everything really that much easier. Minutemanstove.com. Thanks for being part of our family as well. And if you're a journalist out there talking, uh, exposing the truth, watch out because they're coming for you. That's right. As InfoWars reporters found out, gee whiz, report on the on the uh, U.S. border situation. Have your guns taken away, as well as your freedom, at least for two hours. You want your guns back? Got to pay a little, little fine. Don't pass go. Join us tomorrow, folks, when Coach Dave Dobmar joins us in studio. Till tomorrow. God bless. Good night.
This is the Global Star Radio Network.